Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And conspicuous by his absence this week, he is your coach. He is my coach. He is the coach. Coach Duffy. I'd say he's in mourning, but I'm not quite sure that's true. I think that he has kind of taken a week off to reflect about the actions that happened Saturday night, as you witnessed, if you were checking us out on twitch.tv slash 607podcast, because man, oh man, do we have a lot to deep dive into in the land of sports, Mm -hmm. and we are going to be kicking off recapping UFC 264, but before we get going on the show, we just want to remind everybody, we want to continue the conversation with you, so definitely swing on over to otphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Podchaser. Drop a five-star review while you're there. All the TikTok, Twitch, and links you can handle and so much more is all found at odphpodcast.com. And always remember to use the hashtag odphpod. Yeah. Because we have to kick off recapping the events of UFC 264 for this edition of the sports show. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, man, oh, man, oh, man, there was some highlights to be had and a lot of questions going on for the face of the UFC. Star-studded event as well. Yes, Holy definitely. Holy cow. Yeah, he's say uh, Miles Teller was there. Megan Fox was there along with her boyfriend, Machine Gun Kelly. God, that's still weird to say. Yeah. Uh, Justin Bieber was there. Dave Chappelle. Kevin Durant. Odell Beckham Jr. Travis Barker. Uh, Robert Kraft. You know, uh, the, the t- three of the four, uh, five stars from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Glenn Howerton. Uh, and Caitlin Olsen were, were there. And the other one, I'm blanking on the name. Rob McElroy. Yeah, Rob uh, McElroy. We're all there. Star-studded event. Yeah, it definitely is because obviously being in Vegas at the T-Mobile Arena will draw the stars out. And, of course, when you are the face of the UFC, or one of them, should we say, yeah. you're going to bring a fan following. And one person that does it, love him or hate him, is Conor McGregor. Mm-hmm. Arguably the most polarizing figure in the UFC currently, I would say. Yeah. and Him uh, and Colby, it's kind of one-two. It's Yeah, it's definitely one-two. And it just he has that kind of mystique around him that you want to either go see him get knocked out or you want to see him win. He's just mm-hmm. it's that simple. And obviously seeing him in the rubber match against Dustin Poirier, a lot of fans were excited to see what was going to happen in this trilogy fight mm-hmm. because we knew Connor came back from a long time off for the second match they had and Dustin Poirier defeated him handedly. He immediately got back in the gym. He was ready to go. No excuses going on with this. And that was just the tip of the proverbial MMA iceberg that was Saturday night. Tried to kick Poirier in the face during the ceremonial weigh-ins on Friday. Good Lord. Yeah, it kind of was back to basics for Connor because he likes being flashy. He likes being over the top. He likes being the center of attention. Yeah, he likes being the, the needle that is moving the UFC. He likes to be the straw that serves the drink. However you want to define it, Connor thrives on this. And when he was more humble his last time around, Things didn't work out his way as obviously uh, yeah. Poirier defeated him. 
So now he is back and definitely had a lot going on with that. But before we start deep diving into that fight, we got to go over the rest of the main card. Yeah. Because there are some highlights coming from that one. Good Lord. So, yeah, the first uh, matchup on the main card was in the bantamweight division between Sean O'Malley, Sugar Sean, uh, and a relative unknown, Chris uh, Mutino, Mutinho. Yeah, Mutino. Uh, who, as I'm looking on his Wikipedia page, still on Wikipedia for the event, still doesn't have a Wikipedia page. But as we detailed in the preview show last week, uh, took the fight on... I didn't know this at the time, but took the fight on short notice. Now we know it was 11 days uh, because the previous opponent for O'Malley uh, had to pull out of the event for undisclosed reasons. Uh, so they found him and yo, did he ever show up and make a killing in his UFC debut? Uh, while he did lose the fight, Sean O'Malley uh, defeating him via TKO punches. The man lasted a lot longer than we thought it would, because if you go back and you watch the live stream on twitch.tv slash 607 podcast, I believe it was said multiple times by multiple people in the room that he was not long for this fight, that it was just a matter of time, that it seemed like he was going to get knocked out. But the man was like the Terminator and he pick your favorite one. And he just kept coming. He just kept going. Good Lord. The story behind this entire fight was Sean O'Malley was coming back, and he is one of the UFC's golden childs. Mm-hmm. That we'll say that he is a, a face they like to push. I'll say, as as Coach described it, uh, a protected asset. Yes, that's a very very nice way to put it. And the UFC was wanting him to get back on the winning track because mm-hmm. he is somebody like Conor McGregor. He does move the needle. Fans have a very different opinion of him. Some, yeah. some really enjoy him. Some really can't stand him. Yeah, and I, and I had to agree. I thought about it after we recorded the episode. I had to agree with Coach because you just look at it. Okay, Sean O'Malley, the UFC hopes it's the next poster boy. You know, opponent pulls out for an injury or whatever's going on, you know, and they feed him this guy that doesn't have a, a Wikipedia page. I had to dig on the Internet to find a record or anything about him. You know, relative unknown unless you're from the area he's from or or know him or really in depth with the sport. So I'm like, yeah, for all going into Saturday, I'm like, yeah, for all intents and purposes, this looks like to use WWE terminology or pro wrestling terminology. This looks like they're feeding O'Malley enhancement talent. Well, that was the whole point about it, because when the UFC picks their golden children, shall we say, the chosen ones, the protected assets, as coach likes to define it, however you want to specify the Saturday night messiahs. Exactly. They really want to get those guys back on the wing track. And we yeah. heard that Matino was coming in unranked, 11 days notice. This was all set up for O'Malley to run right through him, generate some buzz, and mm-hmm. then get back in the bantamweight title contention picture because the UFC was ready to fast track him uh-huh. way back when. Obviously, he's had some injury issues. So to see him come back on Saturday night and literally dominate this fight, there's no question about it that he had this one top to bottom. Oh, he did. But he, he fucked was, around a little bit, and I think it bit him in the ass a little bit. Well, he was messing around a little bit because he wanted to put on a show because that's what he does. Uh-huh. And he landed some absurd number of strikes. Uh, like percentage. Two, it was over 225. Yeah, the percentage was over 80% of punches landed, or strikes landed, should I say. And Matino did not drop. No. He kept going. And there, were, and there were a couple of shots he took to the head in various areas around the head that like his head whipped back and I'm like, Oh, this might be, Oh shit. No, he's still coming. God damn. Yeah. It was absolutely insane to see him take that much punishment. And O'Malley literally got to such a point. You could see the frustration on his face. Like yeah. I've hit him with five 
strike combos. Yeah. And he's not going down. Yeah, and, and the reason I say O'Malley was fucking around was because, well, he was. If you go back and you watch the first round of that fight, puts his hands down, he starts, you know, messing around. Almost like Anderson Silva or, mm-hmm. or, or one of the Diaz brothers, like, fucking around. Like, he knows, oh, I've got this in the bag. I can screw around. I can have some fun. I can get the crowd going. And then you kind of see it on his face and in his body language that partway through the fight, he's like, holy shit, I've thrown everything but the kitchen sink at this kid, and he's still not dropping. Yeah, it was something he was messing around, giving a shout-out to the Phoenix Suns and trying yeah, to get like the, he double, did, yeah, the double dribble. The double dribble at one point. And the hat has to be tipped to Motino because he literally sat there made himself a star performance Yeah, because for all the shots that he took, and I and I pulled up the stats as we were talking. Uh, so his opponent, Chris Mutino, landed seventy total strikes, all of them significant, no takedowns. Uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley uh, landed two hundred and thirty uh, total strikes out of three hundred and eighteen. Uh, two hundred and thirty of them were significant. God damn. Yeah, no, he hit him with literally everything he could muster, and give credit to where credit is due. Mutino came in; he knew that this could have been one and done for him. And withstood there's a no way, no. hell. Oh yeah, there's no way he's gonna go away after like he, this. Like one. you, if, if you if you find the video online because it's gone by now. But Daniel Cormier found him after the show was over, and posted on his Instagram story that like I think I think Mutino was sitting and backstage eating a pizza. Or, yeah, he, he, was, he was eating something backstage. And Cormier goes up to him and goes, "You're a bad motherfucker." Yeah, like if you got DC, former baddest in the world, heavyweight champion, going, "You're a bad motherfucker." There's no way they're letting this kid go. They'll find him to get a way to get him in there somehow. Oh, absolutely! You know, he's made himself a star performance because he was the bigger highlight coming out of this than O'Malley. Uh huh. And even though they did stop the fight late in the third, and it could be debatable about they could have stopped it in the second round, they could have stopped it early in the third. Right. They didn't let the kid finish, which I think would have been more of a moral victory at that point. But at the same token, you have to remember that he has taken a lot of damage. It's not that he was retaliating or defending himself to a proper degree. Mm-hmm. It was more of fighter safety, and the referee let him go as long as he could have. Yeah. I mean, I personally would like to see him finish because there was only, what, 20 seconds 30. left? Or 30 there seconds? Was, there was only 30 seconds left, and... O'Malley, I know, came out on, I think it was Helani's show today and was like, oh, hey, you know, I was dominating him the whole fight and Herb had seen enough, which I'm like, okay, I get that. But to me, if a, if a ref is going in to stop a fight, it's, it's you know, done. Like, obviously, he can't protect, he or she can't protect themselves, that, you know, there's going to be bodily harm, you know, for long term if the fighter doesn't stop getting hit. And but he was upright. He was still going. It's not like he was, you know, lights are on, but nobody home. Yeah, absolutely. No, he definitely was still coherent. But it was such a point that Herb decided to jump in yeah. and stop the fight. Which, yeah. listen, you have to protect yourself. And he's thinking fighter health too at this yeah. stage. Which he let him go a long time. You, you have to remember this too. I know that I was very critical. I was like, okay, thirty more seconds, just let him go. But at the same time. The fight could have got stopped in the second. Yeah. Like, we all kind of forget this because of how impressive this performance was that yeah. he, Motino, kept going like Korean zombie would go in a fight. Oh, my God, yeah. It was just one of those, like, how are you going to put him down because you can't stop him. No. But at the end of the day, O'Malley gets the big win. Yep. He's obviously wanting a bigger name fight to shoot up the rankings. Yeah. And Motino made away with $75,000. A $75,000 bonus. Yes. 
which we have to applaud because it was a performance of the night. There was nobody else that was going to top him on that one, and that's literally how you kicked off your main card. I expect to see him back in the UFC at some point. Somehow, yeah, either Contender Series or the next uh, Ultimate Fighter. Well, I think if the UFC is smart, put him on the next Ultimate Fighter because you already have a made star. Yeah. All you have to do is show that highlight, yep. and people will tune in to see him because he won more fans by withstanding all the damage he took. Yeah. Than if he had won the fight, this if this was like your stereotypical sports movie, you know, like the one that the one that comes to mind uh, is Invincible with, mm-hmm. with Mark Wahlberg, you know, the, the guy who comes off the streets and is a wide becomes a wide receiver for the Eagles. That like this has all the makings of depending on how his career goes. Hi, Dwayne Johnson, we have another movie for you. Like this has all the makings of a movie that like a guy comes in relative, well, not a relative. He's a total unknown outside of the area he's from and fought in. Never heard of the guy, never seen the guy, and he lasts, you know, four minutes and 33 seconds into the third round. So he lasts, what, 14 and a half minutes? Yeah. You know, 14 and a half minutes against a tried-and-true UFC veteran and and damn near, I don't want to say pulls off the win, but almost pulls off an upset. Oh, he almost pulls off the upset. I mean, he definitely landed a couple shots that he did get O'Malley with. Oh, yeah. There's no question of that. Oh, yeah. End of the day, though. The skill level is just different. Yeah, O'Malley withstands the storm. I have no idea what's up next for him. I know he keeps calling out Cody Garbrandt. I personally would not mind seeing that fight. Right. I know that it would be a big jump in rankings and however you want to find that, but we can always kind of do it the AEW style, in my opinion, and just ignore the rankings and make that fight happen, Yeah. which I know the UFC would love to do because, as we touched upon, O'Malley is one of the protected assets of the company. So Yeah, and I mean, I'm looking at the bantamweight rankings on UFC.com, and I'm actually not seeing Sean O'Malley. No, he's not on there. Yeah, he's not even in the, like, And this is with, you know, so from 1 through, what is it, 13, there's no change. 14 Kyler Phillips has moved up a spot and then Cody Staman has moved down a spot. So there's been movement in the rankings, but Sean O'Malley ain't moved into him yet. So you can call out everybody in that top, I'll say top 10 you want, but he ain't earned it yet. In my opinion. No, he hasn't earned it, but there's one thing about that lighter division that obviously, you know, Peter Ian and Aljamain Sterling have unfinished business. Uh They're locked in there. Everybody else there is almost in flux because There's no clear-cut path to getting that title shot. Sure. So if O'Malley can politic enough, and let's face it, he is one of the faces the UFC really wants to push. Yeah. And we all know that if you're that charismatic, you might be able to jump ahead of the ratings, or the rankings, rather. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt that fight happening, and to get him in a fight against Garbrandt, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it makes sense, but to me, he just doesn't move the needle enough yet. He could. Yeah, it very well could be in the cards, but again, this is a guy that he should have beaten in the first round. That relative, like I said, relative unknown, not a whole lot of experience. Like there's a difference in in semi pro or amateur MMA in professional MMA. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like the adjustment a guy makes when he goes from college basketball to pro basketball. Yeah, they're great in college, but there's always that adjustment period when you get to the pros. You know, this is a guy he should have beaten, and the fact I'm not saying it hurt him. But it didn't help him that he won this fight either because this should have been over a long time ago. If if it were me, I'd give him, and this is without knowing who's scheduled for what fight or whatever, I'd give him maybe a Marlon Vera, who's the 13th fighter, or maybe a Jimmy Rivera, who's the uh, 12th fighter. If you win those guys, then you got then you got an argument. I could see that happening too. I mean, that's just the one thing that with the UFC, when they fall in love with those 
charismatic fit yeah. fighters. Yeah. They love to push them. Like we saw this happen in the past with Paige Van Zant and Sage Northcutt. The UFC falls in love with certain people, yeah, and they try skyrocketing oh, them. Oh, and I get that. It's just I have a, I have a hard time stomaching him going against. And I'm just looking at the rankings here. Marlon Moraes, yeah, number six. Like if they pencil him in to face Marlon Moraes after he just beat a, a no name. Now he's not a no name, but a no name who in his debut fight. Who let's face it. Almost beat him if he got lucky. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, sure. To, to say, oh, yeah, you beat a no-name, and now we're going to give you the number six rank. I'd be like, come on. That's what I say. It's, it's always tricky to see what they're looking at. It's almost like you know turning the fight over to the judges. Mm-hmm. You never know what they're thinking. Uh-huh. I just know from the business point of view for the UFC, I'm sure that Dana is processing some fighters like that. Like yeah. the Vera fight makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah. But I know. I know the UFC is just seeing dollar signs in that Garbrandt sure. O'Malley fight. And like I say, Sean is one of the guys they want to skyrocket. Who better to get some ratings and push in the seats than that fight? So like I say, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. But see O'Malley back on the winning track is good. And like I said, mm-hmm. we have not heard the last of Chris Matino. Guarantee you Absolutely that. Absolutely not. Next up, Had. So the next fight was supposed to be a women's matchup in the bantamweight division. However, uh, during the weigh-ins, uh, where is it? There we go. Uh, Irene Aldana uh, missed weight, uh, coming in at 139 and a half pounds, which was three and a half pounds over the bantamweight non-title fight limit. So this fight ended up being a catchweight fight uh, between Irene Aldana, as I mentioned, and uh, her opponent Yana Kutsukaya. Kutsukaya, uh, where Irene uh, emerged victorious, uh, knocking out Yana uh, via TKO at 4 minutes and 35 seconds of the first round. Not going to spend a ton of time on this because there really isn't a lot to deep dive in. A little one-sided. Yeah, Aldania came in, obviously knew that she was overweight, so she was going to be losing some of her fight purse. 30%. Yes, so she definitely wanted to make a statement, win, and she definitely was hitting Yana with some hard strikes to begin with. Definitely threw off Kutsukaya's timing, could mm-hmm. never recapture, and Aldania just dominated until they stopped the fight. So this one definitely moves Aldania up the rankings, but at the end of the day, you're going to be fighting Amanda Nunez if you get that title shot. So it's yeah. going to be a tough, tough competition for whoever is going to be next on there. But for Aldania, if she can really work on that strike, and she does have a puncher's chance. I'm not going to dispute that. Mm-hmm. But like I say, it's very tough because I'm looking at how she was fighting against Yana, yeah. and that was number four versus five. Right. And then you have to think fighting Amanda Nunez. Yeah. It's a very steep hill to climb to get on that level of striking and such. Yeah. That it's not to say that Aldania wouldn't hang in there a little bit, but right. I was not super impressed by this performance, and especially if you're missing weight. Yeah. To think like, okay, yeah. you're gonna be getting a title shot after this. Yeah, because I'm looking at the women's bantamweight rankings, and as you mentioned, Amanda Nunes is the champion there, uh, champ, champ. Uh, number one ranked fighter is Jermaine uh, Durandme. Yep. Uh, number two is Holly Holm. Three is Aspen Ladd, and then Irene Aldania is number four. Juliana Pena is number five. Uh, well, she could always jump to the featherweight division. Oh wait, there's nobody there. Oh cool, she can immediately fight the champ. Oh wait, it's Amanda Nunes. Exactly. When you're fighting arguably the greatest women's fighter in MMA history, uh huh. You had better bring your AAAAA plus game. You better eat like a factory's worth of Wheaties. Exactly, because Nunez is definitely not losing that belt anytime soon. I know that she has a fight lined up with Juliana Pena mm-hmm. coming very soon. Yeah. And after that, I mean, honestly, I'm looking at that division, and I, this is like one of those scenarios where we look at like when Anderson Silva was running the middleweight division. Yeah. Who is coming near that level of competition? Yeah. It's I'm, tough. I mean, she's literally cleaned out an entire division in featherweight, like UFC.com slash rankings. I can scroll all the way to the bottom. I'm not shitting you. 
It's women's featherweight, Amanda Nunes, champion, and it's empty underneath her. Yeah. That she has literally cleaned out a division that there's nobody on the rankings. Exactly. The only fighter that could have hung with her at 145 is no longer in the company. Yep. And that's Chris Cyborg. You can't tell me otherwise. I'm still mad that we are not going to get that rematch. Maybe someday. Someday if the, the, the cards align, but, man, I, I don't know. I'm not holding my breath on that one. No. But Aldana gets the win, so she gets one step closer to fighting Amanda Nunez, arguably. We'll have to kind of watch and see what happens yeah. from there. Uh, next up was in the heavyweight division, a matchup between Ty Tuyavasa and Greg Hardy. And uh, Tuyavasa emerged victorious, knocking out Greg Hardy uh, one minute and seven seconds into the first round. So, Pat, tell me what I want, what I really, really want. I want a shoey, goddammit. Just not with hot sauce on it. Oh, my God. That was the cruelest thing. I, I will tell you this. Whoever was that fan that decided to put hot sauce in that shoey. Tuivasa is not a fan of you, uh, <laughs> sir or madam. Oh, my God. That was so wrong. Wrong on so many levels. But was what was right, and I have to say this. I am not a Greg Hardy fan. If you listen a long time on the podcast, you know that we are not fans of him here at and the And if show. you want to know why, go to his Wikipedia page and read some of the sections. Yep. I think that is a very honest statement, and we'll just leave it at that. So to see Tuyavasa absolutely win this fight and knock his ass out, I was marking out four. And this is a big, big moment for Tuyavasa. I'll say if you want, if you want to know specifically why we don't like Greg Hardy, go to his Wikipedia page, and it's uh, section number three. Yeah. That's all we really need to say about him, because I don't even like talking about him on the show. Yep. And obviously, for all the nonsense he was talking pre-fight to, yeah. that he wanted Derek Lewis. Yeah, Derek Lewis would have ate him for fucking breakfast, and it wouldn't have even been the main meal. Exactly, and I don't want to hear any nonsense about him going to boxing and fighting Deontay Wilder. Stop. Oh, Listen. Fucking stop. Stop. You're lucky that you you got into the UFC because you were on the contender series and ran yeah. through that. But now and you're, you knocked out a bunch of jabronis that, let's face it, you should have. Exactly. And then you get to the real level, and then when the competition is that much higher than you, guess what? You're getting exposed. And you did give Tiavasa a run. I will give him that. I, oh, yeah. I will say oh, that. Oh, yeah. But Tiavasa knocked him out cold. And he knocked him out cold, and it wasn't even a flush shot either. Like no. you, if you go If you find the highlight of him knocking him out, it's almost like he clips him. Like he, he obviously tried to hit him, but he doesn't even get him full. I'd say he gets him maybe 50% and he still drops him. Exactly. And like, it wasn't Francis and Ganu knocking out Overeem flush. Like, no, holy fuck. He got all of that. Like, no, he got maybe half of that. It reminded me in a weird sense of when Rich Franklin knocked out Chuck Liddell with a broken arm mm. because he didn't hit him with everything behind yeah. it, but he still caught him. Yeah. It's similar. And you just saw Hardy's eyes just roll in the back of his head as he dropped. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, he's and, and I'm all right with him buying into his whole own hype to a certain degree. As an athlete, you need that because who's gonna? Buy, oh, sure. I'll who's gonna that. buy your stuff more than you? You know, which is fine. But you also have to be realistic about it. And if you go and look at his record, and I read it off last week, the, yeah, he's got like seven, eight knockouts, but they're all against no names that were on the contender series and didn't really go anywhere or other federations that aren't in the UFC. So it's like, okay, yeah, this is like saying, holy shit. Aaron judge went to like some independent baseball league and hit 500 home runs in a season. Yeah. Yeah. He should. He's better than those guys. Yeah. Hardy should knock those guys out. He's better than them. But when it comes to the actual talent in the UFC and the actual decently ranked guys, he just can't hold a candle. No, he can't. He gets exposed during these fights. Cause when he has a really big name that he's fighting in front of, and Tuivasa is not that big on the card in his rankings either. He's a fan favorite, though. Well, he's definitely a fan favorite, but still, he's not on that upper echelon guys that he wants to call out, that Hardy was trying yeah. to call out. That's the problem that he has. Is like you want to be pushed like Shane O'Malley and some of the other protected assets in the company. 
but yet you get in the cage and it's a different story. Right. That you're getting exposed that you have not been doing MMA this entire time. You've been playing football. I get that. Sure. But it's not to say that you can just literally walk in off the street from playing football and now suddenly you've mastered MMA to the level of the competitors that you're going against. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry. Like, Tuivasa, yeah, like I said, he's not the highest ranked guy in the heavyweight division, but he's been around. And guess what? He's been doing MMA a lot longer than you have. Uh huh. And it gets shown right here because he weathered the storm and then got you with a shot that wasn't even 50%. No. So, next up for Tuivasa, he'll definitely get a big name. I will bank on that. I can't give you any idea who, though. Uh, let's see. I'm looking at the rankings. Uh, currently, Francis Ngannou. And by the way, congratulations to him winning uh, a war, uh, humanitarian award over the weekend. Uh, oh, the ESPYs? The ESPYs won a humanitarian award. Got to meet uh, one Clark Gregg. Ooh. Congratulations to Ngannou. Uh, but you got he's the champ. Uh, number one is Stipe Miocic. Two is Derek Lewis. Uh, three is Cyril Gane. Uh, four is Curtis Blades. Five is Alexander Volkov. Uh, six is Rosenstruck, uh, and then seven is uh, Shamil Abder uh, Kimoff. Uh, I know I butchered that name, so apologies. Uh, eight is Marcin Tybura. Nine is Augusto Sakai, and then number ten is Chris Dacus. Uh, mm. And then I'm looking here. Unfortunately, yeah, no. Uh, Tuivasa is not there yet. Yeah, he'll get a ranked guy. Like I said, I'm not saying he's going to get top five, but he'll get no. a, he'll get, he'll get a ranked guy after this one. I'll say probably. You know, I'd say probably ten or anywhere yeah. between ten and fifteen. Yeah, ten and fifteen, he's definitely locked in because you know what? He's an entertaining fighter. Oh yeah. We talk about those charismatic fighters yeah. that move the needle. Guess what? The whole crowd was into him the minute you heard the Spice Girls kick on. Oh my God. Which there's only certain you're, fighters that so can pull that off. You're appealing to me as a millennial. Like that came out when I was in elementary school. Fucking hell, I loved it. Yeah, he definitely was playing off to the crowd, and especially being in front of fans, he definitely embraced that moment. Yeah. And then after the fight, he's known to get shoeies, folks. So just don't put hot sauce in it. God damn. Yeah, he drinks out of his own shoes, or if anybody hands him shoes, and somebody decided to give him a chewy with hot sauce and he did not appreciate it he said don't do that no that's just wrong that's evil that's just that's, uh-huh. that's not nice so whoever you are bad 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 idea but hey i'm happy to have Austin knocked the shit out of greg hardy i'm not yeah. ashamed to say that so on to bigger and better things for him and i really don't care what happens already after this with the ufc uh next up was the co-main event of the evening in the welterweight division uh, between steven wonderboy thompson and gilbert burns and you had gilbert burns emerge victorious via unanimous decision i will be honest pad I was disappointed in this fight. Yeah, I was too. I, I know a lot of people were saying this is a potential fight of the night. Yep, this, could, this could be fight of the year, you know, and it was kind of a stinker. It was real puzzling because with Wonder Boy's style of karate, Stephen Thompson, who is a legend. I mean, in the sport, we all know that that is his karate style. It's it's very high striking in bunches, a la Lyoto Machida. It's on that kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. I expected him to really set the tone for the pace and give Gilbert Burns some fits because we know Burns is more of a BJJ guy than a striker. And to really kind of stand toe-to-toe with a karate fighter, you have to give him a lot of pressure. You have to really press the pace and pin him against the cage where he can't get that range. Burns must have listened to the show a little bit. Maybe. Because that's exactly what he did. He came out swinging and ready to go. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was happy to see it, but it was also the point that Wonder Boy did not have an answer. No. Like, it was just kind of odd to see him at this stage look puzzled. Yeah. Like, not saying look, he wasn't afraid to strike, but it looked like he could not figure out what Burns was throwing at him. Yeah, I mean, and both guys were kind of 
a little shy with throwing punches because Gilbert Burns uh, had 101 total strikes, uh, 80%, and then it says 80% of 126. And then for significant strikes, uh, it says 29 significant strikes and then 67% of 43. Uh, and then takedowns, he was three, uh, three for six. Uh, and then on the flip side, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson was had 59 total strikes. Uh, 19 of them were significant and zero takedowns. So those are really low numbers for a, uh, what was it, three-minute, five-round fight. Yeah, it definitely was. And it was completely one-sided. I mean, Burns just dominated. When he got Wonderboy to the ground, mm-hmm. he dominated. Like, it was so one-sided that it was just bizarre for me to sit back and watch yeah it just didn't process not saying that we knew if wonder boy had a ground game because i've never really seen him there right but it looked like he just could not figure out what burns was throwing at him and kudos to burns from bouncing back from that really bad loss against kamaru usman which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying i'm not shamed no There's no shame in losing to usman i just want to make that for record usman. exactly you lose to arguably the pound-for-pound pound best fighter on the planet right now. Uh-huh. No shame in that. But to see him bounce back because that was a very emotional fight, Yeah, that's a huge move for him. Oh, yeah. And especially for a guy that I thought was another protected asset. I'm going to start using that term now. For my, so thanks, Coach. With the UFC because he came in, he had been on a quiet win streak in that welterweight division. Mm-hmm. And when he got the title shot, it was kind of like, oh, well, he's just a hot name right now. Yeah. He's definitely looking like he is one of those top contenders. Like I'm now, I'm fully buying in about sure. this. So it was a big win for him. The question is, where do you go from here? Obviously, you can't fight Usman. Yep. Usman tentatively, because you know, like all pro wrestling cards, all cards are subject to change. Mm-hmm. Is locked in to fight Colby Covington. Also, we also say tentatively because, well, case in point, see Habib versus Ferguson. Yes. So the next fight up that would make the most sense, I mean, if you look at those rankings. I am currently looking at those rankings. Would be Jorge Masvidal. Ooh. That would be the fight that I think would make the most sense. Put up the BMF title, you friggin' scared bastard. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Pat is coming with that. I said it. I know he did. Pat is uh, pro Diaz, too, by the way, folks, if you haven't realized. Facts. But if you're looking at that contendership, all right, so, Pat, you got the rankings right there. I do. Uh, Kamaru Usman is currently your champion. Uh, number one is, one, Colby Covington. Mm-hmm. Number two is the aforementioned Gilbert Burns. Number three is Leon Edwards. Four is Stephen Thompson. Number five is Michael Chiesa. Six is Vincente Luke. Seven is, one, Jorge Masvidal. Eight is Neil Magny. Nine is Bilal Muhammad. And number 10 is Jeff Neal. And just uh, for fun's sake, uh, 11 is Damian Maya. Uh, number 12 is Lee Jinglang. Uh, 13 is uh, Santiago Ponizibibo. Uh Again, butchered that name. I apologize. Uh, 14 is Sean Brady. Hey, Brady, put him in. Uh, 15 is Muslim uh, Selikov. Yeah. Uh, so that's your 15, one through 15 fighters. See, the Masvidal fight, I think, makes a lot more sense because Masvidal's a big name. Oh, yeah. And he is one of those fighters, as we'll get to next fight, that no matter where you put him in, he's still a draw. He's still somebody that moves the needle, say what you will, with his last couple of performances. But he is somebody that people will pay to watch, and obviously so. He's a very entertaining fighter. For Burns, I think that that is a big fight that if he can get past Masvidal, 
it makes a ton of sense to get him back to the title yeah. contenders. And as I'm looking at his Wikipedia page, he does not have anything here listed saying he's scheduled to fight a certain fighter or anything at a certain date. Masvidal? Yeah, no. Yeah, Ma- no. yeah Masvidal just says Masvidal for 2021. Masvidal faced Kamaru Usman in a rematch for the UFC Welterweight Championship on April 24th, 2021 at UFC 261 uh, and was knocked out in the second round, marking the first time he had ever been stopped in the UFC. And that's it. So he doesn't look like he's currently scheduled for anything. No, he's definitely wide open, but I think he's waiting to see about some fallouts from some fights. Sure. Because like we said, on paper right now, it is supposed to be Colby Covington versus Kamaru Usman. Believe it when I see it. I I fully would believe it when I see it, but I would also say be very scared for Mr. Colby Covington because I think Usman is literally going to kill him. Usman wants blood. Yeah. Then there is a few fighters that I am legit scared of, and Usman is one of them. Uh, Yeah, me, that, and then uh, Masvidal as well. Yeah. So, like I say, I would not want to be going in that cage against Mr. Uh, Usman anytime soon. So, with Colby Covington, I could see them making that fight as well, Burns versus Covington. Yeah. and Because you always have Leon Edwards hanging in the wings, and, and I think I've talked about this on the show a few times. Edwards is not a guy that moves the needle. No. He's very technical. A good fighter. He's good. He's a good fighter, but when you go like, hey, I want to see a Leon Edwards fight. Uh, he just doesn't have the persona. He's not that charismatic guy that you want to go watch. Like, I mean, if you're a purist of the sport, you'll go watch. Sure. But that being said, to really get yourself in the title contendership, you almost have to put on a win streak a la Charles Oliveira. Yeah to get the UFC to notice you, in my opinion. Yeah, he, he's also the type of guy that, like, he wins a fight and Joe or whoever gets in the octagon goes, oh, who would you like to face next? Odds are he's probably going to sit there, oh, whoever they want me to face next. Well, he's been clamoring for a title shot, and he does have a legit argument for one. So, like I say, I would not have a huge argument here. But he does not really get the, the fans talking about it to get him over that hump, so to speak. Like, he had the performance against uh, Nate Diaz, which he won outright. Yeah, oh yeah. Should have lost it in the last minute, but Nate was messing around. But that being said, he still has locked himself in where he should get a title shot. Oh, yeah. If he has to wait to get that shot, I'd put him against Burns. Yeah, because I'm looking at Leon Edwards' record right now. Uh, in 23 professional matches, he has a record of 19-3 and one no contest. And in the last five years, he's got one no contest. He's won everything else. Yeah. Like I say, he's a he's a great fighter for a technical aspect. He's not going to move the needle. Yeah, his last loss was against some dude named Kamaru Usman uh, way back when, on December 19th, 2015, on a UFC on Fox card. Yeah, so like I say, I wouldn't mind seeing that get ran back, but I don't think that's in the cards right now. I think the UFC definitely wants to do that rematch with him and Colby Covington, which, like, listen, you want ratings, you want everything that you want for a fight, Oh, trust me, Usman and Covington will deliver on that. There's oh, yeah. no question about that. But in the meantime, the rest of the division has to figure out what they're doing. And for Burns, it makes a ton of sense to either put him in there with Masvidal, because that's still a name, he'll still keep everything very fresh in that division, or do the logical thing and put him against Leon Edwards. Mm-hmm. But it just depends on what Edwards wants to do, because I last I knew he was waiting for a title shot. Yeah. He's like, what else do I need to do? And you know what? He has a legit argument. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say he doesn't, but when you start looking at fights to make and what's really going to drive the X factor to make fans want to pay to watch, listen, you got to have a, a charismatic fighter at the yeah. end of it, yeah. either on one side or the other, or both. But for this to happen for Burns, this is something that you need Masvidal for. If not, you take your chances on a co-main against Edwards. He's still got a lot of options open to get back to that title picture. And for Thompson, I don't know. We're going to kind of have to see where it fails, falls out. 
Yeah, because that um, might be his last fight. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, he, he's obviously 36, which in fight years is a very, very long time. Once you get around that 38 range, it's it's very dicey, in my opinion. Yeah, just a bit. So it just depends on what he wants to do after this, because I don't think he's going to get into that title picture anytime soon, unfortunately. No, no. But I do like watching him fight. So, like I say, I don't know who he's got lined up next, but we'll have to kind of wait and see. Yeah. But that all being said... You wanted to hear about that Poirier-McGregor talk. Let's give it to you. Good Lord. So this Saturday night was the big trilogy match between Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor Mm -hmm. for the lightweight division. Winner gets a title shot against one Charles Oliveira, who definitely stole some uh, pointers from Seth Rollins' playbook for uh, how to dress. Yeah, he did. The amazing suit he wore. Oh, fully applaud you, sir. And obviously, a lot of hype was going into this. Connor was back to the quote unquote old Connor. Yeah. A lot of trash talk, a lot of very questionable trash talk. Uh huh. And obviously, the as Pat touched upon in the weigh ins, he tried kicking Poirier. Yep. Was definitely trying to get back some of that old luster that we all know as people that follow Connor. Mm-hmm. One of two things you either love him or you absolutely hate him, it, there is no fine between. And for Dustin Poirier, he knew that he turned down an original title shot to go fight Connor. Oh, yeah. So he went chasing after the bag. I'm not mad at him about no. that. Get your own money. Exactly. But now we finally get to the main event and pad. What happens? Uh, Poirier defeated Connor McGregor via TKO ankle injury uh, because towards the end of the first round, uh, Con- Poirier was throwing some punches. Connor uh, was stepping backwards fell backwards and his tibia on i forget which leg it was left his left leg uh had a clean break and yo boy the memes that have been coming out about that one yikes Mm -hmm. uh but yeah connor connor lost connor lost outright Uh uh-huh you can't sit there and argue otherwise and he's trying to i don't yeah this is as bad as aew fans get yeah Sorry, if you're a Connor apologist, you've been saying that Connor had a legit chance to come back in that fight. No, this is how it kind of broke down, and I'll just give it to you in the bare, phone, bare bones facts here. Connor came out definitely as the aggressor. He was throwing mm-hmm. a lot of spinning leg kicks that were not doing a ton of damage to Poirier. Yep. Poirier put the pressure on and definitely started connecting on some shots. He was knocking Connor backwards. And that one fight where he did graze Connor enough where Connor stepped back, yep. planted his ankle wrong, yep. and that's where he went down. Now, it's all debatable if that was the moment or did he check it earlier in the fight. It really doesn't matter. Yeah. The What happens is Connor went down. Yep. And he did try defending himself, but he lost that round completely. Oh, yeah. That was an easily 10-8 round. Yeah. I mean, 10-8. I mean, I scored it at 10-9. But I could see a 10-8 there because once he hit the ground, he was desperately trying to survive. Not saying because of the broken ankle, right? but Poirier put that pressure on. Because the only move that Connor had, which was puzzling, is he tried to put him in that guillotine choke for right. during the takedown. Which I read an article that somebody did an interview with his coach, and they had planned for that. Well, I think that they realized that Poirier was going to try wrestling. Because let's face it, Connor has zero ground game. Case in point, look at the Habib fight. Exactly. Habib mauled him. There was no chance. Nope. None that Connor was going to survive a ground attack. And Poirier knew this, too. 
Poirier has hung with Habib. Oh, yeah. Which is saying a lot because Habib usually dominates everybody on the ground. Right. Not saying it was a back and forth, but no. Poirier hung enough that he learned a little bit about what to do here. Yeah, Connor definitely threw Poirier off his game a little bit because I don't think he was expecting the guillotine choke. He, no, was, he definitely wasn't. He, it was almost like a... You could tell by his body going, holy shit, wait, what the hell is he doing to me? I didn't expect this, but he came back from it. Yeah, he came back and weathered the storm. And Poirier is really in a zone right now where he knew how to finish. And, uh-huh. and this fight was a wrap before the end of the round. Yeah. That I don't care what you're going to try defending. The Connor was trying to throw some dead leg kicks or up kicks, rather. He had nothing behind him. Yeah. And Poirier was smart enough to know this, and he was landing shots. Like, this should have got stopped a lot earlier. Yeah, it definitely seemed to me when we were watching the fight that, like, it was all but a foregone conclusion that Poirier might win this. Oh, yeah, because he just looked different. Connor did not look like the Connor of old after that first two minutes. No. And you could say maybe he was hurt. Sure, I'll give you that. Could be. But you know what? Real In realistic thought here. What fighter ever goes in at 100%? None. Exactly. Everybody is coming in a little banged up because if you are really in a training camp, you're not at 100%. No. It's like saying when you go to the gym and you're not feeling sore the next day, then you didn't work out. This is one of those moments that everybody's banged up. Poirier was banged up too. Oh, yeah. We just don't hear about it because you know what? You go in there and you fight. That's what you do. That's what you're paid for. Poirier came in, implemented that pressure. And Connor really didn't have an answer because if your game plan was to suddenly become a submission specialist overnight, overnight with a guilty, like we know what you have, Connor, you have that left hand that you can land out of anywhere. Yeah. Why were you going throwing spinning leg kicks and yet you weren't trying to go with your hands? Like, did you think it was too predictable? It's it's like trying to take a quarterback in the NFL who really can't throw a deep ball and mm-hmm. is, is more of like a route guy and check down guy and trying to turn him into a deep ball threat that only throws deep balls. It's like, ain't nobody going to buy this. Yeah, nobody was buying it. And like I said, the minute he was going for that submission, I was like, oh, boy. It reminded me in this other weird sense. Like, I, I don't know, I was having fighter deja vu. Maybe I've seen too much UFC. I don't know. When Chael Sonnen tried throwing a spinning back fist at Anderson Silva. Yeah. And it's like, what are you doing? I had the same kind of vibe when I saw the guillotine. Yeah. And when I rewatched it, I'm like, are you do- like, I understand it's a survival technique, but the sure. fact he stayed with it. Yeah. Like, one thing, if you're getting taken down, that's not a bad move to try. But then, okay, it's not working. Yeah, abandon ship. Yeah, because he gassed himself out. Because we all know yep. Connor's cardio is suspect to begin with. Uh-huh. So, at the end of this, he has his broken uh, ankle, which he did kind of point towards when he started slipping. Right. So, he knew something was up. Right. But... It was it was a chaotic. It was the last ten seconds of the fight of the round. It's it, which is always chaotic. Oh yeah. The timer gets taken off of the the, the broadcast. We're sitting there, you know, and Herb goes in there to separate the two. But we're like, oh wait, what's going on? Oh shit, his legs broke. Yeah, exactly. So once we see that happens, and Connor's immediately screaming, his legs broke. And obviously they have to go say doctor stop it. Shout which, out to Diesel's reaction. Oh yeah, D- trust me. If you want to see some real good takes about that, uh, definitely make sure you to rewatch uh, Twitch.tv slash podcast live reaction to UFC 264. Diesel will break it down for you very very easily. And my God, I was, I was sorry, I was losing it to Diesel because Diesel is not a Connor fan by any means, but his reaction kind of summed up my opinion of that injury because it looked awful. Yep. Then we get to the post-fight, which this is, I guess, where I'm very critical about the UFC and ESPN about, in my my opinion. This was a bad look. Yes. Because Connor is hurt in the corner. Yep. He can't stand for the fight. Yep. 
We go to interview Dustin Poirier, who did throw a subtle jab at Connor. Nothing super crazy. Wanted to get talking about the fight, and obviously Charles Oliveira is in the crowd. Wants to get talking about that. And then they decide to interview Connor. And in the midst of all this, if you go back and you watch uh, the interview Rogan did with Poirier after the fight was over, you see the both of them look over at Connor because Connor's yelling something. Somebody captured the video and a, and a little bit of audio. Obviously, it's hard to make out everything he says because it's very loud in that uh, building. But you catch enough of it to where Connor is threatening to kill both Poirier and his wife in their sleep. Yeah, which which I, is just the start of things. It's just the tip of the iceberg of where the train wreck became in this fight. Because then Joe Rogan gets done interviewing Poirier, and he goes and literally sits down next to Conor McGregor. Which might have been the funniest thing I've ever seen in an MMA event. It was funny, yes. Like, I like, because... I, I they go oh because he said oh because Poirier goes her, after Connor was screaming I goes oh interview Connor go interview Connor and Joe goes oh don't worry, oh we're going to and I'm like what is he gonna sit down like I think I literally said in the live stream like what is he gonna sit down next to him cut to Joe he's literally sitting on the ground next to Connor yeah I mean that was funny that you went to go sit down however what Connor was saying not so funny no. Because Connor definitely was going back to his old ways, so to speak, and definitely was trying to scream, this was Dr. Stoppage, Dustin didn't do anything, I was fine, I didn't hurt it on his leg kick, I didn't like X, Y, and Z, which is like, okay, man, whatever you want to say, whatever makes you feel better to go sleep at night, a la yeah. Israel Adesanya. But then Connor is still screaming about how Dustin's wife is in his DMs yeah, and getting to the point where we're going away from the fight and we're going into some territory that we don't need in the sport. Nope. Ever. Nope. And Dustin Poirier obviously did not appreciate those comments. No. And definitely made it be known at the at the post-presser. Uh, we're going to meet someplace. It might be in the octagon or the streets. Yes. And it's one of those situations where you think, okay, they're just doing this for hype. No. No. This is not. This is now stemming where I am hoping that heads kind of keep it more cooler. I don't. I don't. I think Dustin will. I don't think Connor will. Well, Connor's not going to because this is going to lead me to my next point. Connor is now injured. Yep. He's going to be out for six weeks or six months. I think some something in that Cause, variation because they were talking on ESPN Sports Center or whatever after the car was over and it was. The anchor for Sports Center, Bisping, Dominic Cruz, and Stephen A. Smith, and Smith was talking that was giving his thoughts on the whole thing, and and he mentioned how he asked Dominic Cruz how long an injury like that would keep him out for, and Cruz told uh, Stephen A. Smith that it's about six months. Oh, it's an easy six months. The thing about it is, this is not the first time Connor has hurt his leg. Nope. And we all have to remember that because, well, he did it prior. Uh huh. He's now going to be on the road to recovery yet again. It's like he did have successful surgery on Sunday. Yes. So now he's in that rehab phase, and where we go from here is going to be the biggest X factor because Dustin Poirier has announced he definitely wants to do this fight either inside a cage or in the streets or wherever. And this is one of those situations where this is not said to sell a fight. This is meant very, very seriously. Settle some business. Yes, because once you cross that line from being – 
a sports athlete and entertainer into territory that you shouldn't be crossing. Yeah. It does make for a very uncomfortable scenario that you were. Say there, painting. there are just certain lanes and certain avenues in in parts of of life and business that you just don't go down. And involving family and issues you have between you and somebody else is one of them. Yeah. So the question now becomes, where do we go from here? And Dana White was very coy. Yeah, to put it mildly at the post-price presser that he is going to make Poirier-McGregor 4. That this is a fight that, quote-unquote, needs to happen. I will paraphrase a little bit because I don't have the exact terminology in front of me. But it was this fight didn't have a finish and it needs a finish. Which I understand, but... No. No. No, I'm sorry. I was going to say, Pat, what is your thoughts on that statement? I mean, I understand where he's coming from just from the fact that, okay... Uh, Poirier won the first round. We don't know what would have happened in two or three. We can play woulda, shoulda, coulda till we're blue in the face and we're six feet under. But we just don't know. So I can understand it from that aspect. And if I'm Poirier looking for a fucking another payday, I take it. But if it's me, I don't need to. I've got what? He's got what? Two and one record against him? Like you've already proven you're better than him. You lost the first one. You've now won the last two. Two of which were in the last six months. Yeah. Like, there's nothing left for you to prove other than if you want to clown this guy and be like, sit the hell down. Well, that's the question of where he goes from here because Poirier is now lined up to fight Charles Oliveira. Mm-hmm. And he didn't really receive a lot of damage, so they could quickly turn that fight around, possibly September, more likely October. I could fully see that happening. And then where does we go from here? Connor's got got to stop buying into his own bullshit. Well, that's and, and get the yes men out of his camp. Well, because he's still buying into this bullshit because he posted a video on one of his social media pages, either Sunday or Monday after his surgery, thanking everybody for the well wishes, thanking the crowd for coming out and being so loud, and you need to mention the, the attendance, you know this and that, and then he he spoke to Poirier and said, "Oh, you're illegitimate win." You know, borrowing a certain book from other aspects of life, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, oh, your illegitimate win. Like, shut the fuck up. You lost. Your leg was broken. Yeah. There's nothing illegitimate about it. Now, if he hit, and now, had he have hit Connor with an illegal hit in some way that should have DQ'd the fight? And, sure. The and, that, story. And, then his, and then his leg was broken? You can call it an illegitimate win all you want until you're blue in the face. Nothing Poirier did in that fight was illegitimate. Absolutely nothing. No, there is absolutely nothing wrong he did in that fight. And that's the thing. You were in arguably the most brutal combat sport in all of the land. The only thing he did wrong in my aspect, he didn't clown his punk ass a little faster. Well, he could have. I mean, that's the whole thing about it. But Poirier is a professional and went in there to go win the fight. There was nothing more that he needed to do. And for Poirier, listen, I'm going to say this. If he does beat Charles Oliveira and Connor is healthy, that had better not be for a title shot. It can't be. There's no way. I will lose it on this podcast if it is. And I don't care if Coach is in the building, which even Coach is agreeing with us, too. We're going to try seeing if we can get him to do maybe a TikTok reaction and give you his take on this. But we all were saying Connor is not, is out of the top five yeah. of the lightweight division easily. He's not an elite fighter anymore. Currently, he's number seven. He fell two spots. Yeah, and honestly, that's that's an all right place for him to finish. But the question becomes for him is where do you go from here? Because honestly, 
you're not going to be back in that title picture anytime soon. No. You're not. I'm sorry. No. Your name will get you in the door. You'll, you'll get a uh, main event. Sure. Yeah. But, but title shot? No. No, but there's nobody in that ranking in the, the deepest pool of all of MMA, the lightweight division, that you're going to be able to leapfrog over to get a shot. Yeah. Because let's face it, you have in front of you Michael Chandler, Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, Dustin Poirier, to name a few. You're not leapfrogging over anybody in that weight class. Sorry. The days where you were the champ champ and running the joint, as you said, right. I believe so, are over. And this is a very honest fact. You were exposed. You have been defeated because when you started buying into your own hype, you took time away from the sport, which you held up to the division and for I don't know how long mm-hmm. as champ. It decided to go box instead. Yeah. And then came back and thought you'd be able to flick it on like a switch. It's the one thing about MMA is it's always evolving. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be on top forever. No. Nobody is. Very few people have long runs as champion. It's not easy to do. Hell, that's why in the heavyweight division, Steve Miocic had the longest run, and I believe it was three fights. Yep. You don't do this. I mean, there's once in a while you get an Anderson Silva or a GSP or a John Jones. Right. But how many times does that happen? Few and far between. So for Connor, you only have certain options to fight when you get back. Oh, yeah. There's one fight that I think makes most sense, and you don't need a belt. You don't need anything for War Stockton. Plug him in against Nate Diaz, and let's have that trilogy fight. I'll watch that. Everybody would, because you know what? It sells itself. We talk about fighters that have that X factor. We talk about fighters that move the needle. Listen, both of those guys don't need belts to move the needle. They're polarizing figures in fandom for MMA. Some people love the Diaz brothers. Some people can't stand them. Some people love Connor. Right. Some people absolutely despise him. But still, those are some of the biggest draws the UFC has. Mm-hmm. You could make that fight out of nowhere, place it anywhere in the world, and it will sell out, and it'll be one of your highest buy rates in pay-per-view history. Oh, yeah. Mark my words. Oh, yeah. The only other fight I could see him do at this stage is move up to 170 and fight Jorge Masvidal. Because like Connor, Jorge is one of those fighters in MMA that has evolved into his own character. Now, I'm not meaning a character like Colby Covington, who definitely was playing a character, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But Jorge Masvidal has a certain mystique to him that people gravitate towards and want to watch. The same thing can be said about Conor. You put those two guys in a a fight together for the BMF title, if you want to even put a title involved, that will move the needle, that will make some sales. Other than those gentlemen, and I'll even throw Nick Diaz in there. Sure. Who else is going to be in this talk that you want to see Connor at this stage fight? I mean, there there'll definitely be guys in that division that are willing to fight him, but none of them that go make uh, casual fans go, "Ooh, I want to see that fight." Yeah, I mean, you, you got the rankings in front of you. You can go. Let's go through the top ten. Yeah. of the lightweight division. I'll even tell you who he's. Yes or no? So obviously, right now the champion is one Charles Oliveira. Nope. Uh, number one is Dustin Poirier. Nope. Two is Justin Gaethje. Nope. Uh, number three is Benil Darouche. No, that probably won't happen. Four is Michael Chandler. No. Five is Tony Ferguson. 
That's a maybe. Uh, six is Dos Anjos. N- arguably, no, but Dos Anjos is petitioning for that. Uh, seven is, well, Conor McGregor. Mm-hmm. Uh, eight is Dan Hooker. No. Uh, nine is Islam uh, Machekov. Yeah, Machekov. Um, I would say this. That's a that's a long shot. Sure. But that's a possibility because, sure. if I'm not mistaken, he is out of Habib's camp. Mm. If I'm not. I, I think and, so. And like I said, I could see that being a potential, but more to get uh, Islam over. Yeah. Then get Connor back on the winning yeah. track. Uh, and then number 10 is Gregor Gillespie. No. Like I say, the majority of those names, the only ones that have a small chance would be Tony Ferguson because both of them have had history of yeah. being you know perennial lightweight contenders. Yeah. The Dos Anjos one is interesting because he, Dos Anjos wants this fight. He's wanted this fight for I don't know how long. Mm-hmm. But... It all depends on where Connor is going to go from here. Now, if you ask me, okay, let's say he beats Ferguson. Let's say he beats Dos Anjos at this age. Yeah. Okay. He then moves up to fight a Michael Chandler or a Justin Gaethje. Okay. Do you think he has a chance against either one of those two? No. Neither do I. No. And you know who thinks he's done? You kind of mentioned it before. One, Habib Nur- Nurmagomedov. Yeah. He did an interview with ESPN and specifically Brett Okamoto, and I've got a couple of uh, interesting quotes here, uh, specifically regarding the trash talk that took place ahead of uh, the event. Uh, Habib said, quote, like Dustin said, it's just noise. He's not him. It was fake, Connor. That's my opinion. A couple months ago, we see how he was nice, how he tried to be different. It looked fa- fake. That's why this trash talk didn't work on Dustin Poirier. In my opinion, it was his big mistake. He lost so much energy because he tried to go under his skin. Don't focus on your opponent. Why do you have to focus on him? Uh, Just focus on yourself, close quote. He's not wrong. Uh, Yeah, he went on to say, uh, quote, money and fame show who you are. All the time we hear that money and fame change people. No, when money and fame come, these two things show who you are. And what has he he done? He punched an old guy uh, in a bar. You guys can watch everything he didn't understand. It's just like Dustin said, this guy is a bag of shit. Uh, and then specifically uh, in regards to people supporting him, said, quote, I saw a lot of tweets try to support him. How are you going to support this guy? When kids, young generation, watch him, watch this sport. If you want to promote your fight, uh, promote. Uh, if the MMA community is going to support this bad people, this sport is going to go in a bad way. Uh, and then going on to say, uh, with the injury, uh, saying, quote, without broken legs, yes, he could be the same. Uh, but with broken legs, he's never going to kick the same. With him, no, I don't believe he'll return to the top. Connor have a, uh, have a good have good age, but what happened with his mind, legs, this guy is finished. But he's done He's but he's good for promotion. Close quote. He's not wrong. He's not wrong in anything he said. I will say people will still cheer for him because people like oh, cheering, yeah. cheering for bad guys. Yeah. And honestly, after that outburst at the end of the fight, and another reason that the UFC should not interview fighters mm-hmm. that are injured or concussed at the end of fights. Because I'll I'll say I don't like Connor. I don't root for him. I often root against him just because I don't like him. But when he broke the leg, I had a little bit of remorse for the guy. I'm like, oh, that sucks because, and I told Liz Bailey this on when I was driving her home. 
I was like, I felt bad for him initially because you spent all this time, all this money. Like Coach said, bought a house in Los Angeles, bought a gym, flew his crew out there so he could train exclusively, spent all this time, money, and effort into the fight that was over in five minutes. Yeah. So I felt I felt bad for the guy because he put all the time, money, and effort, and he came up short. You know. But then all that remorse went out the goddamn window when he started that bullshit post-fight. If you're going to lose, lose with some goddamn dignity. You know, trash talk all you want, that's fine. I get that. It's a part of the game. You know, if you want to say, oh, you didn't beat me at my best, whatever, fine. But to go out there and say the things he did is classless. Yeah, it's absolutely classless, and he got exposed for it. Like, listen, he wanted to spend a lot of fight and try to make his redemption story and make one last run for the shot. Sure, I get it. Sure. And you know what? You want to bring in your own team and such? Sure. But are you surrounding yourself with yes people? Because we've seen how this happens with other fighters. And it doesn't end well. And the problem is when you still think that you are Connor of five years ago that is the face that runs the place, so to speak, it's a sad dose of reality that you are very disposable and the sport moves on without you. That if you're not going to fight, trust me, there'll be another face that takes over Mm -hmm. and replaces you. And there is quite a few fighters that are definitely moving the needle for the UFC right now. Connor is almost an afterthought. Because he came in and people still buy into what he does and his antics and such. But what we see in the cage, he's not backing up. See, winning solves a lot of problems. Right. When you're not winning, you start getting exposed. And the problem that he's having is he's not the same guy that was dominating the lightweight and featherweight divisions and being the original double champ. That time is gone. Mm-hmm. So now where do you go from here? You are going to be doing those kind of circus show fights, as we like to call them. That you're going to be fighting people not for belts, but you'll still get your fights in there. Oh, yeah. And like I said, him against the Diaz brother, doesn't matter if it's Nick or Nate, he'll make a ton of money on. Oh, yeah. If it's him against Jorge Masvidal, he'll make a ton of money on. If he wants to go box, and hell, I think this might be even the better option for him, go fight Jake Paul and watch the circus show begin there. God, please let that be a double knockout. Yeah. Because honestly, if you're trying to say that you're still a top elite fighter in the UFC... Sorry, that window, I think, is closed. Yep. And after what I've seen now in two fights, you're not showing me anything to say, oh, well, that was just a bad loss. No. You got dominated by Dustin Poirier. Dominated. Broken leg or no broken leg, he still took you out. And guess what? If you did survive and didn't have a broken leg, you still would not have won that second round. Nope. Because you already looked like you started gassing out because you tried putting on a guillotine for way too long. Sorry, I think the window is closed. And if any Connor fans are trying to say otherwise, I don't know what fight you're watching unless you're just trying to grasp straws for what used to be. And he used to be the most entertaining guy in all of MMA. He used to have all these amazing press conferences and X, Y, and Z. But once you start letting fame run and dictate your life, in my opinion, you really are struggling to grasp everything that brought you to the dance. I remember when he was the most humble guy and almost on the brink of – you know, you hear his story of just yeah. how he struggled to, yeah. to, even before he got in the UFC. To now, I mean, obviously he's the highest paid athlete according to Forbes. Oh, yeah. Well, and especially you think back to the, the speech he had when he what, beat Jose Aldo, just about talking about where he came from and, and how poor he was and just little to no money to, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm here. I'm so humble. I'm so thankful to I'm going to kill you and your fucking wife in your sleep. Yeah. To just see how it's evolved to that level is truly disheartening. And now it's kind of, well, just a sad shape of oh, it is. where he, he is. And, and he's not going to change unless he gets all the yes people out of his camp. 
Yeah, because they're going to enable him and they're going to keep telling him how good he is and how great he is. And I don't think there's anyone in that camp that is going to pull him to the side by the scruff of his neck and say, cut the shit. Yeah, I don't think, unfortunately, the time has passed, too, because he's, he's too successful. And if he ever he doesn't, if he never fights again, he's going to be set for life. Oh, yeah. So where's the drive to come back unless he has a big payday? The only place I really see that is the fights I mentioned. If he's fighting anybody else in the top ten, he's going to try making a run back for the belt. But sadly, those days are gone. I mean, he might be able to do it. Sure, there's always a puncher's chance. But if you're asking me what I've seen in my last two fights against Dustin Poirier, who is as elite fighter as there is right now, and he is one of the faces I mentioned that has taken over in the UFC, Connor doesn't stand a chance. So he's better off doing those specialty fights against the Diaz brothers, against Jorge Masvidal, where belts aren't on the line. But, yeah. you know, they're good moments for entertaining moments because – Quite frankly, I think that window has closed on Conor McGregor, and I have to agree with everything Habib said. It'll be an interesting a story to see as it unfolds, and I am just not excited to see that fourth fight come around, and I'm really hoping Dana does not make that fight happen when it comes time in December, that if Poirier does get the belt, that he obviously doesn't offer the title shot against Conor. Yeah. There's no way you can do that, with it. and I'll tell you what, I'll lose it on this podcast if he does. And then even if Oliver beats Poirier, which is my honest prediction right now. Sure. There's no sense to do this fourth fight. No. I'm just sorry. Poirier has won outright the past two com- yeah. competitions. I don't care about the broken leg. I'm sorry. I don't. He, got, he, he dominated. He dominated. He, he, he messed him up in the second round, too. And, he, and Connor had a busted up leg there, too. It doesn't matter at this stage. The time and the window is closed on Connor McGregor. I'm sorry, folks. That is my honest takeaway from this fight. So Poirier's got a title shot to get ready for, and Connor has a big surgery rehab to start going on, and then we'll see what happens when he comes back. But definitely a lot of headlines coming out of UFC 264. So hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your takeaways from UFC 264? And if you haven't seen the live reactions yet on twitch.tv slash 607podcast, swing on over, drop a follow, and check it out. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do you think you should go to jail if you throw a cookie at your girlfriend? Do you think it's cheating if an athlete fails a doping test, but the twist is only her boyfriend is juicing? Do you think 200 shots is too many to try to stop a robbery? What would you do if your parents burned $30,000 worth of your porn? Have you ever asked yourself this question? What the hell is wrong with Florida? Or we're the Rum Runners Podcast. We read the clickbait so you don't have to. We click those questionable links that pop up in your feed and let you know you want a new iPhone. Every week, we break down the weirdest and funniest of those articles. Find us on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, and just about anywhere you find podcasts. Video versions can be found on YouTube. Just search Rum Runners. That's R-U-M-R-U-N-N-A-S. We're also available on Twitter at RumPod and Instagram and Facebook at Rum Runners. With new episodes dropping every Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And time to talk a little wrestling. Wrestling. Big week happening for the WWE. Yeah. That they have finally said goodbye to the Thunderdome. Mm-hmm. So, Pad, what is your takeaways from the Thunderdome? Uh, got better with time. Mm-hmm. Uh, seeing clips from... Uh, not this year's WrestleMania, but last year's is just wild to see because I'm so used to the this video boards and the pumped in crowd. So to just see it with the empty performance center, no sounds, you know, like a empty tennis match, it, mm. it's real weird to see. But it got better with time. It, it it took some getting used to just because I wasn't the biggest fan of not having anything there 
for in terms of a crowd, but I understood why they couldn't. But I figured, well, you can do something, you know, pumping fake crowd noise, anything to just kind of make it seem somewhat normal. And like I said, it got better with time. Uh, I think given the circumstances and given the ridiculous curveball they were thrown, because this has never happened in their entire time as a company that they've had to deal with something like this, I thought they handled it rather well. I thought so, too. I think, obviously, dealing with trying to run a promotion during the COVID time Mm -hmm. of lockdown and obviously not having fans in the building definitely throws a show off. Yeah. And if you've never been to a pro wrestling show, the wrestlers definitely feed off the energy of the crowd. Oh, yeah. You you thrive on that reaction. Good, bad, and different, you still get something out of the crowd. It's just how it works. So to take that aspect out of professional wrestling and have the WWE set up the Thunderdome, which had all TV screens going all around the building mm-hmm. where you at home could definitely sign up, get on TV and be a part of the show and try For free. Yeah. And, and try being involved in the weekly shows, which yeah. I mean, I applaud the WWE for trying because it's a cool idea. It's a cool idea. I mean, definitely it took a while to get used to because yeah. it's just so surreal to see mm-hmm. no fans in attendance, but obviously with everything going on, it makes sense. Right. But WWE tried setting that blueprint. They, I thought they did a good job for what it was. Yeah. But now we finally had our last show at the Thunderdome. It's been torn down. Yep. Bobby Lashley did it himself. Yep. Bobby Lashley did it on Monday Night Raw last night. Probably the only highlight I really have for Monday night. And now we have one SmackDown beforehand, and then we go right to Money in the Bank. Yeah. I'll say SmackDown this Friday in front of a live crowd. Yeah. Definitely excited to see that. And then the ramifications, like I said, lead into Money in the Bank, one of the most innovative pay-per-views. Of the WWE, where we have a briefcase that hangs above the ring, and you have to climb a ladder to get it. And inside that briefcase is a guaranteed WWE championship match at the winner's call. Mm -hmm. So if they want to do it later that night, they can run in and cash it in that night. Mm -hmm. If they want to wait and surprise their opponent, they can do it later and surprise their opponent. A la Seth Rollins at WrestleMania. Yeah. There's just a time period of one year that they need to cash in on. Yep. And they have to... Definitely carry that briefcase around. Some do it a little more style than others. Yeah. Uh, I don't think anything beats Brock Lesnar carrying it with a Brock box. I don't know. Some of the antics Rollins and, well, now Moxley, then Ambrose got into were pretty goddamn funny. Yeah, there's definitely different ways you can run with it. But now we are here on the road to SummerSlam, and Money in the Bank is July 18th, 8 p.m. on the Peacock Network. We're going to give you our breakdowns of who we think is going to win from the card and give you our early predictions on what to expect for this year. So, Pat, why don't you break it down? Yeah, so uh, this is the probably the most up-to-date card I can find on any news article. Uh, according to the news article, it was posted like a minute ago. Okay, cool. Uh, so the first matchup we're going to talk about is for the Raw Tag Team Championships uh, between AJ Styles and Omos defending their belts against the Viking Raiders. It's great to see the Raiders back. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they've had some injuries, so they've been off TV. And this one should be a fun opener. Um, I don't think it's going to be the opening match. No. I think we'll have one of the latter matches be the opener. Probably. But whenever this match is going to be, I think it'll be entertaining. I mean, AJ Styles and almost have been surprisingly an interesting tag team to make happen as champions. Like, I, I don't mind seeing them with the belts. No. And they've obviously defeated everybody they faced after winning the belts. Yeah. So this one... I I, I kind of want to see the Viking Raiders win, but I think they'll stretch this out one more match. Yeah, I, it'd be nice to see the Viking Raiders win again, but I don't think it'll happen just because AJ's on his last run. You know, I, I'm willing to bet that his this current contract he's on will be his last one, and then he's going to retire. So that being said, almost 
and AJ as a tag team have been great, especially with, for me, almost, I don't think he was ever on NXT. No. You know, so almost is kind of relatively new and, and unknown, so to speak, on, on the main roster for a lot of folks, myself included. So I think you you still need to have time to have AJ kind of help him build that character and build that mystique and build that aura. And I think that would mean having them uh, defend the belts successfully at this pay-per-view. Yeah, I think so, too. And, I mean, how, how great for almost to have oh my God. AJ Styles to mentor for Oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, whoever came in behind Wayne Gretzky or, you know, when Aaron Rodgers came in behind Brett Favre learning from Peyton Manning or Derek Jeter. It's like one of these all-time greats that you're just, like, if I'm almost sponge everything he says. Absolutely. So can't, can't say enough good things about no. that tag team. Uh, next up is for the Raw Women's Championship, and that is between Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair. Gah. See, here's the thing. I'll be happy if, if Ripley wins. I'm not happy with Charlotte being around the title picture 24-7. I'll say, I like Rhea. I don't hate Charlotte as a person. I just don't like how her character is constantly in the title picture. Yeah, and, but I understand, obviously, with her pedigree in NXT yeah. and WWE. Oh, yeah. She's synonymous with the title. She's great. She's a good wrestler. Just, God damn it, she can do other things besides fight for the title. Yeah, and I think that this would be something to in front of a live crowd, too, for Ripley to get the win. Oh, yeah. I think would be huge. And that's where I think that they, they need to do. Where Charlotte could obviously come back in. I know that she's got a few other projects outside of wrestling that I'm not mm-hmm. sure are completely done yet or not. Allegedly, I mean, there's the TV show she was working on. Yeah, at, something like at that. One stage, yeah, so I'm yeah. not sure if she'll need to take time away for that or what's the status with that. But just with the wrestling aspect in general, too, to have Ripley get that big win in front of a crowd, I think would be more more huge yeah. than Charlotte getting yeah. the win. So I'm going to take Ripley for the win on this uh, one. I am, too. Uh, next up, you have the Women's Money in the Bank ladder match, and the competitors announced thus far are Asuka, Naomi, Alexa Bliss, uh, Nikki Cross, Liv Morgan, Zelina Vega, and Natalia. And there's still one more to be named. I'm willing to bet I got a guess on who that's going to be. So let's throw our guesses in first, and then we'll kind of give our wins. Uh, There's been some rumors floating today about a certain wrestler that's on the main roster. Uh, She's been in a bit of an authority position thus far, saying there's been some rumors floating, Shane. She's about uh, getting ready to make a comeback. I wouldn't put it past Sonya Deville coming in. I would be 1,000% behind that. I would have zero issue with that. Sure. I am hearing reports that a name that's getting thrown around is Becky Lynch. Oh, well, I listen. I saw a photo on Reddit yesterday of her mid-workout. She is for for having had a child in like the last year, like whatever, whenever she had the child. Uh, she is shredded. Oh, I can imagine. I like I'll have to dig up the photo and show it to you, but if you look it up yourselves, you can find the photo online. It's her mid-workout for literally for having had said child, like within the last year, she is shredded and that, and and that would make all the sense in the world to have her come back. Crowds are there, you know, first non mania pay-per-view, you know, back with the crowds. That would be a massive pop, like an all-time pop. It definitely would be. I mean, that's something that we kind of have to factor in. Like I, I don't want to see her involved though, to be honest with you. But I wouldn't mind. Like I know that sounds very weird to say, but I'm looking at the rest of the roster that's involved here, and we got Alexa Bliss, Asuka, Naomi, Nikki Ash, because now it's not right. even Nikki Cross because she's doing the whole almost superhero gimmick, which I got to admit, it's grown on me. I like the gimmick. I'm not the biggest fan of the name. 
You know, but I'm okay with it because you know why? Karrion Cross is coming up to the main roster. True. So you gotta have it. Obviously, you can't have those two having the same last name. So I'm all right with that. And then on SmackDown side, we do know Liv Morgan has been added. Zelina Vega in her return to WWE is put in the title or the match there. Yeah. So like I say, there's a lot of different ways you can go with, and I could definitely see Nikki coming back or um. I'm sure Becky, he, I, I found the photo of Becky. Yeah, is. she's definitely looking in shape. Yeah, she's like I said, uh, she's shredded. Yeah, she's and like I say, she's been teasing these photos for a while too from WrestleMania as well. That we're all waiting to see when she comes back. Yeah, if she does come back at Money in the Bank, yeah, that would be a big moment for the crowd. So I'm not going to dispute that. And then yeah, obviously that'll be a huge thing for the live crowd. But if I have to say anybody but uh, Becky winning, yeah. I I'm going to go with Liv Morgan. Okay, in the big upset. I think that Liv is long overdue to get that shot, especially with the Riot Squad being egregiously broken up. Yeah. But we'll kind of have to wait to see what it plans out. But if, it, yeah. if, if Becky's name is anywhere attached to this and it's serious, it's, it's a done deal. Yeah, I'd say if Becky shows up lock, stock, and put that one in pen. But assuming Becky's not there, I'm going to agree with you and say Liv, just because I think with the whole story of, like, what, there was, like, three weeks in a row she was trying to get into the qualify for this whole thing, and she kept getting screwed over. You know, the one week Zelina Vega came back and automatically put in the match. You know, and like, uh, Sonya Deville just kept putting people in without having them actually qualify, and, and Liv was like, listen, I've beaten all of them. Yeah, so obviously when they're fighting in front of the Texas crowd, That'll be a big thing because I believe they're in Fort Worth for this yes, show. Yes, I believe so. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different predictions that go with this. I think this will be definitely a match of the night contender. Yeah. I, say, I like everybody that's involved in this. I think they'll put on a great show. Yeah. And definitely kind of have to see where it plays out from there. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. I, I'll, I guess to say if Lynch is involved, she's winning. If not, I'm going to go with Liv. All right. Uh, next up is the money men's Money in the Bank ladder match uh, with your participants being Ricochet, Matt Riddle, John Morrison, Drew McIntyre, Biggie, Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins and Shinsuke Nakamura. Okay. So. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. King Nakamura. Yeah. With this crew, I mean, this is a stacked lineup, too. I love the lineup. Oh, my God. Yeah. There's so many spots you can have with this match, and it's insane. Hello, Kevin Owens in a ladder match. Yeah, Kevin Owens involved in a ladder match. Ricochet (laughs) jumping off something, as we've seen. He's got a lot of momentum being on Monday Night Raw. Him and John Morrison put on some great matches together. And Riddle as well in a ladder match. Yeah. Riddle, like I'm almost like anybody but Riddle. Yeah, because I, I will I will be the first one to say the RK Bro gimmick is I, I'm supposedly just, he pitched that himself to WWE and they loved it. Well, it's it's great on paper, but yeah. it's just kind of getting to the point where I'm just like Randy has been gone from TV mysteriously. Yeah, and nobody knows. I don't doubt him coming in and yeah. costing Riddle the match. Yeah, it could be. Which would be interesting because Riddle has already said if he wins, they're using it to cash yeah. in the tag team titles. Yeah. Which would be something different. Yeah. Um, barring anybody running in this match, and I mean... Like Brock Lesnar a couple of years ago. Well, that's what I was fearing there he's going to do. If he is, he's got to get rid of that god-awful haircut. Oh, the Viking haircut? The the top knot or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. He looks like Thor. That's an insult to Thor. Yeah, but I'm just saying with Brock, if he's, if he's coming in like that, he's definitely looking to do some damage. So if Brock does come in this match for whatever reason... Uh, obviously, gives it to him, and he'll. I guarantee you this: he will cash this in to fight Lashley at SummerSlam. Lock that in. Okay. But if I have to give somebody else a possible prediction, man, oh man, oh man, just let Biggie get this. Mm-hmm. Let him win this. Yeah. I'm like, I'd be all right with anybody actually involved winning this, except Seth Rollins, because I don't think he needs it. Right. But let Biggie get the briefcase. Let's go. Right. 
I'm my heart wants Biggie to get it, and and how I th- want it to happen is Biggie wins the wins the briefcase. Obviously, uh, we haven't talked about it yet, but for the WWE Championship, Lashley is facing Kofi Kingston. What I th- would like my my booking fantasy booking Lashley being as pissed as he is at the if you look up the clip from the end of Monday Night Raw this week. Just absolutely, because he he said something like you know wanting to leave no shadow of a doubt he can beat guys and he doesn't want to just beat guys he wants to destroy them. Mm-hmm. What I th- want to happen, and I don't wish any harm on anybody, is to come out and just absolutely destroy the shit out of Kofi Kingston. Yeah, to the point where Kofi is like they they fake it that like Kofi needs a stretcher to get out of there. They're like you know obviously he's not hurt he's not actually but just for storyline purposes. Mm-hmm. Then to have Biggie come out and go. I'm cashing this in on you at SummerSlam and set, and set up the SummerSlam. That's what I want to have happen is have, you know, Biggie cash in on, on Lashley and set it in for SummerSlam. What I'm afraid is going to happen is Drew's going to win money in the bank. Drew's going to win money in the bank. Kofi's going to pick up a fluke win on Drew or on, on Lashley. Oh, Lashley. So Kofi will be the champion. Drew can cash in money in the bank because it's not because Bobby's not champion anymore. He can compete for the championship again. Have Drew compete, cash in on Kofi that night and beat Kofi and become champion again. That's what I'm afraid is going to happen. See, I can see that happening too. Yeah. Like I was thinking about it today and I'm like, oh, son of a bitch. I can see this happening. Well, like I said, it'll open up the door for Drew. So. It just depends if they want to get him with the belt again. The only thing I feel safe in saying is whoever wins this briefcase ain't cashing against Roman. Oh, yeah. There's no way. Arguably, no. Uh, I, unless I, unless Lesnar shows up, ain't no way. I'll give it a 10% chance. I'll They're not going to cash in that night. No. Well, but, no, no. But down the road, possibly. Because it, it all depends on a couple things, too. If Big E wins, what's to say he doesn't cash in? On Lashley that night. That could be. Because here, here's a scenario you paint if we want to go to uh, that match next in our breakdown. Sure. Yeah. Because obviously for WWE Raw title is Bobby Lashley is defending against Kofi Kingston. Yep. Let's say your theory is true that Lashley just destroys mm-hmm. Kofi. And I will say this. I will not be happy with this because no. remember when Kofi lost the belt, Brock Lesnar squashed him. Dis- squashed him. He destroyed him. He never recovered from that. If Lashley does it, where do you go from here with Kofi? Mm-hmm. But if Big E wins, Lashley destroys Kofi. Yeah. Big E comes in, cashes in, defends his friend, and wins the title. Now moves to Raw. Mm-hmm. How's that work out? I'm all right with that. See, that's what I'd like to see happen. Yeah. But I'm afraid it's going to be this McIntyre scenario. Oh, I fully grant you too. I think I, th- I think they want to get Drew involved in the title picture, but yeah. it's like at the same time. I don't know with the Lesnar factor. Well, that, and, as, what, and especially what, there's the Cena rumors with SummerSlam, but it's sounding more and more like he won't be there for SummerSlam because, well, he's too goddamn busy. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing, too, which I, I think he's he's causing a smoke screen with that. Well, maybe. I, I think he'll be there. Okay. But we'll have to wait and see. So next up we got. Uh, this is for the uh, going to be the main event. This is the for the Universal Championship, and this is Roman Reigns defending his belt against Edge. Um, Boy, I don't know. Like this one. I don't see Roman losing. No. I'm sorry. I don't see him losing right away to anybody. Nope. Even though they've done a great job building this story up, and I will say with Edge coming back. Yeah. 
But it almost feels like they need a stipulation. Yeah. It almost feels like they need something to this. Like Edge coming back out of nowhere after he did get the title shot of Mania. It just kind of seems like the story's thrown together and there here we are. And it's not enough to say like Edge has done anything to say that he can beat Roman now. Right. That he couldn't do it at Mania. Even though, like I said, how he's been dispensing the Usos has yeah. been a big deal and, yeah. and how they're addressing everything there. I think they've done a great job about building this up, but I think at the end of the day, it's still Roman. I, yeah. I just don't see anybody going near him right there, now. Uh, there's nobody built up at this point that I can see. Like, yeah, that's the guy to beat Roman. That's the guy to finally unseat him. Like, they just don't exist. Yeah, like I think if they don't do anything crazy at the draft, right? because we do know there's a roster draft coming. Uh, reportedly, it's now in October. Yeah. Whatever they're going to do there, yeah, I think is going to be interesting because if Big E wins... I don't know if he cashes in before he goes, mm. or does he move with the t- with the belt back over to yeah. whoever brand he's on? Yeah. Like, there's so many possibilities they can do with this unless they cash in early, right? But this one, I think, is just Roman wins all day. Like, I just don't see anybody coming near him unless yeah. they want to have somebody tease it at the end. Like, let's say hypothetically, Biggie wins, comes out at the end, and just holds the briefcase up yeah. to let him know, like, I'm watching you. Yeah, that could be something. So the only thing I could see happening that would give Roman a run for his money in terms of like, it'd be real fucking interesting to see is I saw a fan made graphic on either Instagram or Twitter the other day that I'll admit got me really fucking excited, especially considering two of these three people are probably going to be involved in the draft coming up this year. Uh, and that was a graphic somebody made for the club where you could unite AJ styles, Adam Cole Baby. and Finn Balor. Oh, don't tease me like that. I Listen, I said the same goddamn thing. I saw this and I go, ooh, put them on SmackDown. Have them be kind of like a foil, you know, enemy to go up against Roman. I'd fucking watch. I'd be there all day. I'd be there all day. Real fucking interesting because you got to figure if Balor's going to go back up to the main roster. Yeah. Potentially uh, Cole. Cole is because, let's face it, he's been teasing that match with Rollins for the last four or five months. Right. And then AJ, hello, pencil that and he was the face that ran the place for so many years yeah i mean it's itself it definitely would i mean when we get closer to the the roster draft i think we'll have a clearer picture about where everybody is yeah because i know in nxt they have to tie up some storylines yep carrying cross is probably the first one they're going to call up oh god yeah i'm not doubting this too as a weird as this might sound we might see bronson reed sunday could be there's a strong possibility because we know from smackdown this week that tegan knox and shotzi blackheart uh, both are on SmackDown official. Like that's not a one-off, one-week thing. They are on SmackDown now. Same with Tony Storm. And Tony Storm is getting ready to make her debut on SmackDown here soon. Well, with Bailey being out, they definitely want yeah. to make sure they yeah. have a fully stacked roster lineup for the women's division. Yeah. And obviously, with Bailey going down too, who has been arguably the MVP during the Thunderdome era on SmackDown. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a big loss, but they definitely have refilled the oh, yeah. uh, arsenal, so to speak. Well, and, I, and I know a lot of people are going, oh, why did they call up Tegan Knox? They just started a story with her on, on NXT. Listen, an ACL tear for one of your major pillars of the women's division on the main roster going down, you need to plug something in. Yeah, and plus, I think they're going to have her as a tag team with Shotzi. Yeah. So they'll kind of see, and and hopefully she holds up too. I'd love to see her have a good run. Oh, yeah. I know she's had a terrible time with injuries. Yep. That I'm hoping that maybe those would be a nice way to ease her back in, and yeah. then they can break them up eventually yeah. because, you know, it's wrestling, so they do that kind of stuff. 
So there's going to be a lot of storylines to be handed out during this. But Money in the Bank is definitely going to be something we're going to be watching intently. I don't believe we're streaming that on All Sunday. Right. So we'll just be doing some live tweeting. But that could always be subject to change. But that's why we just tell you to follow twitch.tv slash 607podcast. And you won't miss a minute of the content when it drops live. You get this nice reminder. It tells you we're live. So, hey, who knows? It could happen. The only time we can definitely tell you for sure is this Thursday where we'll be doing a deep dive in on the wrestling show for that. And to finish off a little wrestling talk, there was a big debut on AEW this week. Oh. Which was one artist formerly known as Aleister Black debuting oh. as Malachi Black yeah. because this was the one for AEW. They finally returned to the road. They were in Miami. Yeah. A lot of energy in that crowd, I will yeah. say. I caught the show. First half of Dynamite was really good. Second half, same old problems. And then we see the lights were flickering during the Cody segment and who appears but Malachi Black. So, Pad, since we got you on air, what is your thoughts about this move? Yeah. Okay. Just okay? Yeah, whatever. Like, Aleister Black is cool. Like, I like the I like the gimmick he had in NXT and kind of like the, the real hard-ass he was. At like, no nonsense, you know. When he got, what was it? There was that storyline where, like, Gargano ended up being the one who knocked him out or attacked mm-hmm. him or whatever it was. And he, like, when he came to the ring and he was in Regal's face, like, who did it, who did it, who did it? And then Nikki's got us. Like, that whole storyline was phenomenal. Yeah. But just, I'm like, like the main roster run he had and just like the not a clear direction. It's kind of left me meh, whatever. No, that's fair. I just curious your take on that because for me, I think it's good for him. It's going to go one of two ways. I think he finally got his time to go get some creative freedom in AEW. I just am very fearful. And we talked about this on six or seven TWS. You're getting fed to Cody right out the gate. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, and this might be beating a dead horse. I don't know. There are just way too many plates at that dinner table. Yes, in, in terms of main raw main event main line guys, that like there are way too many guys who are looking for the main light, the main event, and not enough guys who are just like we're mid card. We understand that we're here to fill out the rest of the show. Well, it's another thing that we always are very critical of AEW about, and obviously we know they have a new hour of programming coming on very very shortly with Rampage. Right. But in the meantime, this is the first wave of the releases that WWE is starting to pick up. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, there was that whole wave of the 30 days to 90 days yep. because somebody misread something. But this week, as we are recording, that first group of wrestlers that were released, led by the Iconics, yep. are now technically free agents by the end of this week. It's assuming they've got their visa issues fixed. Yes. Because I know, I know that was an issue for them was just with their whole situation of being let go and visa issues that that's kind of might be uh, hindering them signing with anybody. Yeah, so obviously we might see some new faces pop up this week on AEW. Um, I know that Chelsea Green showed up on Ring of Honor yep. this week. Yep. So it'll be interesting to see where everybody uh, falls out here a little bit. So definitely stay tuned to your favorite wrestling promotion. Could see some people show up on uh, NXT. Yeah, you never know. So obviously you've got some they just big... Need, they just need to make sure they call people back. Cough, cough, Kurt Angle. Yes. So I'll definitely have to kind of wait and see what happens with that. But obviously, you know, we'll be talking about that on our social media accounts. So definitely swing on over to at OD Parlay Hour on Twitter. And definitely our links are right in the bio. If you want to talk to Pat about his wrestling takes, you want to talk to me about it. We definitely will have Coach Duffy having a lot to say about that. What is your takes about this week's wrestling action going on? Are you excited for Money in the Bank? And who's your picks to win? We definitely want to know that. And along with what is your thoughts about Malachi Black going to AEW? So much wrestling to talk about this week. Yeah. Let's keep that going, folks. We are going to take a quick break. 
We'll be right back. Looking for a new podcast? Check out the Infectious Groove podcast. My name is Russ, and I host the show along with Michelle and Kyle. Every Monday, the three of us bring you music news and tell you our jammy jams, so you'll always have new music to check out. The Infectious Groove podcast discusses music from nearly every decade and genre while openly displaying our passion for music you need to hear. On top of that, we have a thought-provoking main topic of discussion every week to get you thinking, discussing, and sharing music. We also include interviews with the music stars of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms. Subscribe and listen to the Infectious Groove podcast on your favorite podcast platform today. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And Pat, what you got for rounding the bases here? I got to talk a little bit of local minute uh, because as we record, uh, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies are out of town this week. Uh, they're out playing Altoona. However, they do return home on Tuesday, July 20th uh, to play a series against Erie. A uh, couple, a couple of good promotions going on. Uh, Wednesday the twenty first is Dollar Hot Dog Day, so yo, uh, always a good promotion. Uh, mm-hmm. Fireworks on Friday, uh, and then Saturday the twenty fourth is Pete Polar Head Alonzo Bobblehead Giveaway Night. Oh boy. Uh huh. And then Sunday July twenty fifth is Christmas in July, uh, which the description on this reads, and I wish I could be making this up. Rowdy Claus is coming to town for Christmas in July. Presented by B one hundred seven point five. Arrive early with the kids for a uh, pregame letter to Santa. Oh, boy. <laughs> so that's always going to be fun. Uh, more information and uh, other good stuff about the Rumble Ponies, bingrp.com. Uh, next up, we got to talk a little bit of baseball because it is the All-Star Week for Major League Baseball taking place in Colorado. Uh, and last night was the Home Run Derby, and holy good God almighty, did it live up to expectations. Yeah, you were tweeting live storm Ooh. on there, man. Nice job with that. Thank you. Uh, I was very excited for this because, well, the field was incredible. Uh, you had Shohei Otani, the Angels phenom pitcher, hitter, putting up Babe Ruthian numbers, uh, going up against the likes of Joey Gallo from the Texas Rangers, uh, Matt Olson from the uh, Oakland athletics uh salvador perez the catcher from the kansas city royals uh the defending champ pete alonzo who was egregiously the five seed and i say egregiously because well you'll find out in a minute uh also going up against uh trey mancini the phenomenal story from the uh baltimore orioles battling stage three cancer literally a year ago yeah and now make uh making his return to baseball playing this year making it to the home run derby. Amazing so that, story. Awesome story. Uh, going up against the hometown guy, Trevor Story, from the Colorado Rockies, uh, and then Juan Soto from the Washington Nationals. So this guy, so taking place in Colorado, so high elevation. Uh, they threw out these numbers uh, before the game, or before the derby started, the, you know, the elevation, plus it was like 90-something degrees, plus they didn't humidify. humidify or did, so Apparently when they get based, and I didn't even know this, Apparently, when Major League Baseball sends the balls, baseballs to be used in games to a stadium, they're there for like a month, and they're they sit in a room for like a month, and then they then they get used, which is the case with the balls they're using tonight as we record for the All Star Game. Those ball baseballs have been there for about a month. They did not do that with the home run derby balls, so mm. that that apparently did something with it. But the way the math figured out, the baseballs were going to travel like twenty three feet further. That's insane. And holy shit, the balls were flying. Like, the previous record for a home run hit at uh, the home run derby was Aaron Judge, I believe, when the derby was in uh, Miami Marlins Park. Uh, and he hit it like 518 feet. And even the and even the prop bet on that was like 518 and a half feet. That's insane. Uh, what was it? Pete Alonzo hit one that went 526 feet. 
Jesus. Like he's he hit the the scoreboard in left field a couple times. Like if you look up the video on Major League Baseball's YouTube, they put up a bunch of I think they put up like the whole final round. They put up a video of every home run for uh uh Pete Alonso and a bunch of others. It's definitely go check it out. But it definitely got off to a hot start. Uh in the first round you had Trey Mancini defeat uh Matt Olson 24 home runs to 23 home runs. High drama there. Matt Olson just just ran out of time. You know, had a chance to hit one, but if I remember right, the guy throwing pitches to him turned and watched the last one he hit and forgot to turn around and throw the other one. Uh, you had Trevor Story uh, defeat Joey Gallo, 20 home runs to 19 home runs. Again, Joey Gallo ran out of time. Yeah, Everyone penciled Gallo in moving into the next round, myself included. Go look at my tweets. But no, Trevor Story uh, upset uh, Joey Gallo to advance to the second round. Uh, Pete Alonso took on Salvador Perez, and Pete Alonso put on a fucking show. Yeah, the first all round, I kept hearing about was Pete. The first round record was set by Josh Hamilton when he was with the Rangers in 2008 at Yankee Stadium when he put up the 28 home runs in the first round. Mm-hmm. Pete put up 35. That's insane. It was nuts. He was just, and and he picked his own music. And as he said, he had to represor, represent the New York rappers, so he was playing a mix of Nas and Mob Deep, which I was loving. Uh, he he was vibing, and and that was just wild to just watch him step out, and he's bobbing his head, and he's he's singing along. Uh, God bless Salvador Perez. Tall order. Pete Alonso went first, and he said after he went his first time around, he goes, "Last year I went second, and I and it put a lot of pressure on me." He goes, "I want to be the bar. I want to set the bar. That's why I went first. And holy shit, he set the bar thirty five. So everyone's like, "Good fucking luck, Salvador Perez. Like you got to hit thirty five home runs just the time. You got to hit thirty six to fucking beat him." Guy came close. He ended up hitting 28 home runs. That's not bad considering, but, no. man, Alonzo. And that's cool. He's just coming out and just enjoying the moment. Oh, that's yeah. the whole thing about All-Star Week Yeah, is it's a break from the season. Everybody should be pretty loose Yep, and enjoying the time that you're yep. out there. Yep. Uh, and so Alonzo advanced to the second round. And then this was the much-anticipated matchup. Uh, Juan Soto taking on Shohei Otani. And everyone was really looking forward to this because everything Otani's done this year. Uh, in batting practice, he hit a ball, and if you can find the video, I please encourage you to do so. He hit a ball in batting practice that went off the facing of the uppermost level of the stadium, hmm. which is like five levels up. And and Eduardo Perez of ESPN goes, in all my years of watching baseball and seeing balls hit at the stadium, I have never seen a ball get hit that high. That Like the stadium said, it went 510 feet, which oh. might be generous. So everyone's like, holy shit, they're going to be really awesome. Juan Soto came out first. 31 home runs. We're like, oh, that's a tall order. You know, we'll see if he'll be able to do it. I got to admit, Shohei Otani lost. He only hit 28 home runs, and, and he went like the first minute, minute and a half, and he really didn't have anything. And I think the biggest thing is for him was, one, they said in the broadcast, the guy throwing him pitches hadn't thrown him pitches since March. Yeah, that was kind of odd. That was, And, and the thing of it is, is Major League Baseball doesn't pick the people who throw pitches to the batters. The batters do. Like the guy who threw pitches to Trey Mancini, or I believe, I believe if this, I remember the story, it was his one of his college coaches from Notre Dame, or something like that. That you know, so like, and I know when Robinson Cano did it with the Yankees in Arizona, it was his dad. Hmm. So the the batters picked it. I don't know why Otani wouldn't just you know whoever throws them batting practice during the regular season just have that guy do it. The whole situation with Otani was weird because they had a catcher from Colorado catching the balls behind home plate. But when Otani went to do it, it was his translator. It was just a whole different scenario. I was like, okay, whatever. But Otani lost, and and I feel bad for him because he's the starting pitcher tonight. 
and he's also the leadoff batter. And he says, I might have ruined, he said after the derby, he goes, I might have ruined my arm for tomorrow, but the fans wanted to see it. And Ken Griffey Jr. who was there had a really funny point. Uh, he goes, you know, because he got on the mic with the broadcast crew from ESPN and, and Ken Griffey Jr. goes, he, wait, he's the starting pitcher for tomorrow, right? Isn't he? And Eduardo Perez goes, yeah, he is. He goes, Ken Griffey Jr. goes, if I'm the leadoff batter, I'm sitting red on that first pitch. I'm going to swing for the fences. He's not going to be able to throw. He goes, he's not going to be able to throw it as hard as he normally does after this. It's true. It's kind of a puzzling thing. I understand you want to do it for the fans, and I applaud him yeah. for it, but he shouldn't be starting. Like, no. if you're going to do that to your body and, and do home run derby, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, as much as you want to think you're superhuman, you can't. Yeah. Uh, so in the second round, you had Trey Mancini defeat Trevor Story, 13 home runs to 12. Uh, so Trey advanced, you know, Cinderella story, Trey advanced to the final round. Uh, and then you had Juan Soto taking on Pete Alonso, and Pete Alonso won with 16 home runs to 15. And then you got to the final round where Trey Mancini uh, hit 22 home runs. So Pete Alonso needed to do that, and, well, Pete did it, hitting 23 home runs to become your, uh, def- and still, uh, home run derby champ, uh, joining the likes of, what was it, Ken Griffey Jr., Prince Fielder, uh, I'm blunt. There's at least one other person who did it, and I can't remember who it was, but somebody else did it, you know. So he's in, he's in illustrious company, uh, you know, and potentially has the chance to do a three peat next year because next year's in LA. And uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. said he'd like to do it against Alonzo next year, so we will see. It'll be a fun little build up, too. I mean, the home run derby is always a cool thing to watch. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, it, it was awesome. And then just some fun stats, uh, for the derby last night. Uh, there were 309 home runs hit the last night, which was not a derby record. Uh, that was 312, which was set in the last derby. Uh, the, then you also had the in terms of total distance, uh, one thousand three hundred one hundred excuse me one hundred and thirty eight thousand seven hundred and sixty five feet uh, of baseballs were hit. Uh, or if you're having a hard time to wrap your mind around that, uh, all of this quote this is from MLB.com quote all of this year's Derby homers flew a combined total of two twenty six point two eight miles. In other words, a full marathon plus an extra 140 yards or so. Uh, yeah, so there, it was just a fun derby to watch. Uh, kudos to MLB. I love the format, you know, with... I wasn't the biggest for, uh, per, uh, fan of them going from, like, the traditional out system to the timer, but I think they finally got it nailed down. It was quick. Outside of, you know, the, the Juan Soto-Shoei Otani matchup, which went longer than normal because, well, they went their first round. They were tied. They went into a, a overtime, essentially, you know, where they had one minute, can't stop, hit as many home runs as you can. They were still tied. Mm-hmm. And then they went into a tiebreaker, which is you get three swings. You know, if you hit a home run, it counts. If it's not a home run, don't count. So outside of that, it was real quick, real fast-paced, you know, and, and I felt like the batter could really get in a good groove, and it was overall just a blast to watch. Yeah, it's always a fun time, like I say. And in the All-Star game, now that it's not meant for World Series yeah. home field advantage, yeah. it's better. Like, I understand they didn't want to finish with a tie, and you yeah. shouldn't. Yeah, But it's also at the same time, it's like, all right, let's go out, let's have a win, but let's yeah. have some fun while we're have doing it. So now it's kind of like back the way it should be. So yeah. I'm excited for it. Yeah. So for my base, uh, since Coach is not here, we got to talk some basketball. All right. And uh, for Team USA, yikes! Not the way they want to be going into the run for the Olympics in Tokyo. I, I hope I'm jinxing them by saying this. You know, jinxing them in a good way. Uh, we of course have the dream team. 
Uh, we, of course, have the Redeem team. Uh, this team is quickly becoming the nightmare team. Yeah, it is. Obviously, losing to Nigeria 90-87 to on Saturday. Where they were favored by, like, 20 or 30 points. Mm-hmm. And then they lost on Monday to Australia 91-83. to Where they were favored by 19 and a half. A lot of panic is going around right now to a team that's led by Damian Lillard, future uh, New York Nick, uh-huh. and Kevin Durant from some team in the East Coast. So with Greg Popovich leading this, and if you don't know Pop, obviously legendary coach in the NBA. Yeah. Is it time to hit the panic button? Um, Not in terms of Pop. I don't think it's got anything to do with Pop. I just think the mix-up and, and makeup of this team is just not quite right. You've got a lot of guys who like to play ISO. And, and kind of do things themselves, and it's not, and plus the other issue too is a lot of these these teams from around the world aren't the the country's best players coming together to form the Avengers type mm-hmm. of thing. They're a cohesive unit. They've been playing together since they were kids. Like this ain't their first rodeo, you know. But you always figure, okay, it's the NBA players. They're always the best of the best. They should be able to overcome this and, and adapt and 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 play through this. But like these first two losses and ex- admittedly exhibition so it's not like it's for in the olympics or anything eh, my hand's not on the panic button but it's you know real close yeah it's something to definitely keep an eye about i mean this team is not like the dream team no. when they first started having professionals join the team to play for the olympics so this one obviously with dame lillard and kevin durant leading the squad expectations are high yeah and Obviously, this shows there's a lot more parity throughout the world for this style of basketball. Mm-hmm. That you're not going to have the teams that are getting blown out by 80. Right. Well, and I think people got to temper their expectations because, especially, you remember the dream, the not the dream team, the redeem team. Mm-hmm. There were like eight Hall of Famers on that team. Yeah, that team was loaded. There were like eight Hall of Famers and like five other players on that team who were at the peak of their careers. Yeah. That, that team was an anomaly. Yeah, that team will never be duplicated again. Ever. Yeah. So the fact, I mean, we still hold on to that team as the benchmark. It's an unfair bias about doing it, and I'll be the first one to tell you it is. Sure. Even though, like, you, everybody knows my love, quote-unquote, for Kevin Durant. It's not on really them, but I applaud everybody that's trying to play because yeah. this takes off so much oh God, of yeah. a season and a oh, physical yeah. toll. And I'll even say this, too. I'm curious for the Brooklyn Nets fans. Sure. Do you think it's smart for Durant to be playing right now? Mm, yeah. Coming off an, yeah. uh, an ACL tear. Yeah. I understand. I mean, he had last the year off, and he did play, but he also really tried going above and beyond the call of duty during these last playoffs. I think that's not a question you just, you have just about Kevin Durant, but any of the star players that are on the team, the Dame Lillers, the Draymond Greens, you know. Let's face it, Golden State can't afford any more injuries. Well, that's why I'm just saying. I like understand why they're doing it, and like I said, I fully yeah. applaud them. Yeah, I think yeah, it's great yeah. they're playing for the country. Oh, absolutely. But I would say in like Durant's case, coming off a bad leg injury, and I mean I know it's a couple of years removed, and especially with the way injuries have gone this season in exactly. the NBA, where you could really use this time to kind of cool things down, still keep in shape and keep your workout regimen, but maybe not go as hard as you were. Yeah, that's one thing that I'm just watching right now, and I'm like, I'm, and obviously I hope for no injuries. Oh God, yeah. But it's going to be something that like I fear that if somebody does come into the regular season and they're injured and they were playing on the Olympic team. This is going to be something we're going to look back on and go, mm-hmm. you know, here's the case example. I mean, I think by the time we get to the Tokyo Olympics, Team USA will be ready to rock and roll. I would hope so. But this is going to be very interesting to watch and just see the parody of the rest of the league. Like I said, Nigeria and Australia coming in. And, Kudos and, to them. Yeah, putting up some big wins. I'll say especially because Nigeria, what was it back with the Redeem team, got blown out by like 70. Oh, yeah. So just putting that all in perspective, I mean, just showing the parody right now, 
it's definitely showing that the rest of the world is caught up to the yeah, U.S. Yeah, And the Olympics are not exactly a lock for... So it's not a walk in the park. No, it's definitely not a walk... Or it's definitely not a walk in the park to get to that gold medal. So Team USA is definitely going to have to get going on this. And they do have the talent to do it. So it's just a matter of gelling together and making it happen. So we'll have to wait to see what happens after that. Yeah. And there's still the NBA Finals going on. Yeah. Which Phoenix is up two to one on mm-hmm. those Milwaukee Bucks. Now Phoenix took game one, yep. one eighteen to one hundred five. They took game two, one eighteen to one hundred eight, and now they went to Milwaukee, who the Bucks decided to show up and play, balling out and winning by twenty one twenty to one hundred. Mm-hmm. So now they go to game four on Wednesday night. Any early predictions? Any feelings right now from the mm-hmm. from the finals right now, Ben? I'm going to say Phoenix. I'm still sticking with Phoenix on this one, too. I mean, I know that Devin Booker did not have a great game, Game 3. Not everyone is perfect every game. Exactly, and I think they did a smart job about pulling him early and just kind of cutting their losses and getting some rest. If if you realize the game's out out of reach and you ain't going to make a run, come back, save the legs. Yeah, exactly, and I think that was smart for them to do. Then this just goes to show the coaching job that they're doing out in Phoenix, that they get it, that, hey, it's, it's one of those nights that it's just it's not clicking. Yeah. And sure enough, you know, they did the smart thing. Like I said, you only had 10 points in that game. But to get him some rest, that's what they needed. And Milwaukee, huge win. Giannis decided to show up, 41 yeah, points. Yeah. So you know that's big for game three. And definitely to get the crowd back into it, especially at home, they got, this is a must win for Milwaukee because if they have to go back out to Phoenix down 3-1, it's a wrap. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm just saying they're not the great Cleveland Cavalier team that decided to take it to Golden State way back when. This is going to be something that Milwaukee needs this. I, this is a Game 7 for them, in my opinion. So we'll have to see how they ball out on Wednesday night. A lot of basketball going on right now in the middle of summer. It's always good to talk about that. Though. Yeah. Never complain about that. But that all being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH podcast is that of our good friend Brian Wolf. Now, Brian's got a lot of music coming out right now. He's got a lot of stuff we are not allowed to talk about on air. Uh-oh. Soon, though. Maybe we'll have to get him to Skype in or Zoom in or just, you know, come in the studio. Granted, I'm not paying for a plane ticket to get him out of Austin to come up here. Sorry, just going <laughs> to put that out right now, Brian. Sorry, it's not happening. But, Pat, if I want to know about more about Brian, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the music section. You check out everything going on with Brian, everything going on with Second Suitor, who is playing a show at the X Ooh. before the big return. Cool. So, obviously, August 7th, if you're not living locally, uh, Excite Wrestling returns with Sorry We're Open. I love that name of this card. It's a great name. Yeah, it's a great name. Uh, they're getting lined up for a full card. But the night before, August 6th, mm-hmm. Second Suitor is playing at the X, which I believe is the first music show they're doing at the X. I believe so, yes. And I cannot wait to get down there in attendance and see Tyler and the guys absolutely just tear the place up. Hopefully not too much damage before the night's show, but hey. Gotta see what happens. But to find out more about them, the links are right there at the music section of the ODPH as well. You can check out everything going on. Floodlands, who's booking dates coming up in the middle of August too. Shout out the robots who are always booking dates. And it's, seriously, if you can get them in their area, you need to do that. Oh, ASAP. Tom Jolu, Yard Party, the list goes on and on. But you can find out about all those amazing musicians and support them because they're fantastic people. Also, swing on over to the classifieds where you find out friends of the show. You can find out organizational links supporting Black Lives Matter. You can find out all the amazing pod groups we are in via Podchaser because, frankly, if you're in a group and you're not on Podchaser, you're not in a group. Yeah, I said it. So definitely want to shout out everybody in the Apocalypse and Inner Circle and, of course, our fam over at 607 Podcast and 8122 Productions, Rich, Ron, Mike C., and, of course, hashtag Big Natty Cool. Still on Twitter, Pad. Oh, Lord. 
and getting a lot of reactions for that Twitch video. Oh, I'm sure. So uh, Coach Duffy's cat has a lot to atone for. Oh, God. Yes, uh, that's making the rounds right now. If you want to find out what I'm talking about, it's simple. Swing on over to patreon.com slash 8122productions, and $1 gets you in the door, $3 gets you to come. If you see at the table, and you can find out everything we're talking about, and especially all the big things they got planned going on this summer, too, with 8122. And I guess we have to give an official shout-out. I know this is a sports show, but... Padawan J, yours truly, and Rich from Three Fat Nerds. And, of course, our guy, Dre Driven, are going to be down at New York Comic Con this year. Yeah. So if you are going to be in the event and you want to kind of say stop on over say hi, let us know. But we are excited to get back to the Javits. We're going to be doing some full detail going on the next podcast about that a little more. But all that information can be found right at odphpodcast.com. All that and so much more is on the website. So definitely head on over and check it out. That's all I got for this week. So for the one only, Padawan J. Fuck the Astros. Stop running away from the All-Star game. Just stop hiding. Yeah, I know. They hit one home run. They take off the jersey and think everything's forgotten. No, no they're running away. There, there's some players who are good to play in the All-Star game, but they're not playing because <laughs> they're avoiding the public. they they scared. Mm-hmm. Rip that Band-Aid off. Just get it over with. Yep. I'm your host, Kenem. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.